it favors that, but you still got a chance to clock it. Take your time and take the shot down. Here's Mahomes rolling out on third and four. He's going to go for the... Yes, he's got the marker. He's got the out-of-bounds to stop it. And Osai was hurt as he hit the bench. And a flag's coming in to put him 15 yards closer. Hey now. Hey now. Season 13, episode 2 of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. Great show today. Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News will join us to talk about the Buffalo Sabres. It's a spot we did every year for a while. But then the Sabres got so depressing, I didn't want to do it anymore. And for the first time in a long time, the Sabres aren't depressing. And in a minute, we'll talk with Mike about why, what's changed, what happened, why are they better, how much better are they, what will they do, all those questions answered with Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News after this. Also on the show today, it's a spot I worked really hard to get. Gabriela Marcotti will join us, and he writes about soccer and does a podcast about soccer called The Gabe and Jules Show. Uh, on ESPN Plus, and Juventus, which is like the Yankees of soccer in Italy, got take 15 points taken away from them, essentially eliminating them from the playoffs for some kind of capital gains infraction. I didn't understand it. I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about Napoli and their amazing run through Champions League and through Europe. I wanted to talk about the Italian national team as we turn the page on a bad 2023 or 2022. Look ahead to 2023. So I was reaching out blindly to people. James Newcastle is a guy I reached out to who writes about this on The Athletic. He never responded. Uh, I reached out to our friend John Champion, who was on this podcast before the Euros. And said, hey, is there anyone you know? And he said, yeah, email this guy or message, text message this guy. And uh, and, and and maybe he'll do it. And I, I wrote this guy and said, hey, John Champion gave me your number. And never even received a message back. So I couldn't get anyone. So I wrote ESPN and I said, I wrote my friend Bill Hoffheimer there. And he directed me to the guy who handles the soccer people. It's a guy named Mac. And he pointed me to Gabriella, and we did the spot. And it's great. And you're going to love it if you like soccer at all. We talk a lot, cover a lot of ground, a lot of different things. So there's two long interviews, so I'm not going to talk much off the top. I will say this. The Super Bowl is coming. It's the Chiefs, and the, the Chiefs who beat the Bengals will play the Eagles who beat the 49ers. The 49ers, you couldn't get worse luck in a championship game. Both of their quarterbacks were injured. And they were organization number three and four quarterback as well. So three quarterbacks injured in the year. And then the fourth one on top of that whole second half, they couldn't even throw. Um, So what are you going to do? Congratulations to the Eagles, who may be the best team anyway. And I would argue had the easiest path to the Super Bowl in the NFC anyone's ever had. No one in the NFC was good besides them, unless you count San Francisco with a quarterback with an arm. They didn't have to face that for more than a quarter. Nobody was good. They were never challenged. They led their division from wire to wire. They had an easy game against the Giants who had overplayed their 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 team. They got as far as they were ever going to get. An easy game there, which was a blowout. And then an easy game in the NFC Championship game. And now they'll place 
face the Chiefs in the Super Bowl who beat the Bengals, who I thought were the best team, and they still might be, but they made too many mistakes at the end of the game, and they lose. The big story coming out of wild card, or of championship weekend was, of course, the officiating again. The NFL needs to do something about it. It's so bad. Big games, teams lose because of them. It's horrible when it happens to you. And uh, I'd love to see it improved. The rest need to get younger, more athletic. They need to work full time. They need to live, breathe football. And they need to change it because it's just not working the way it is. And the league certainly has the money to do it. So I hope they invest in that and that for their future because it's really bad for the league. But when 84 of the top 100 programs are football games on television, maybe they don't care. They might not. We'll find out. All right, so it's a great show today. We'll do the book club in the middle there. We'll do one last thing at the end. We'll have some plugs. But I really want to focus on these in, these interviews. First, we'll do Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. Then we'll do Mr. Marcotti and soccer at the end. So enjoy the show. The season's going. 24-inch podcast is going. And uh, we're off, as they say, hopefully to a better start than last year where we missed seven months. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back with Mike Harrington. Our next guest is a graduate of Canisius College, and he covers the Buffalo Sabres in baseball. And other things. So the Buffalo News, he actually has a Hall of Fame vote, which we'll talk about. He's making his return to the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Mike Harrington. Hey, Mike. Good evening. How are you today? Steve, it's... Uh, Been a minute? Never. Yeah, it's never dull around here, and uh, it's never dull in the NHL. And, and Bo Horvat gets traded by the Canucks yeah. to the Islanders. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's trade season a month early, and talking playoffs around here and i don't even feel like jim mora anymore so it's actually legitimate so it's it's definitely been interesting so i've been doing this show for 10 11 12 years i think they made the playoffs one time they played philadelphia (laughs) and they lost on easter in overtime and then they lost game seven i think is how it went that's correct and this is the only time besides them that we could have the conversations we're having tonight well, I mean, the next year, if you remember, in 2012. Is that Washington? They, they were challenging Washington until the end. Yeah, yeah. They they won the overtime game with the Leafs. They yeah. were in a playoff spot with, I think, four games to go, and then it fell apart at the end. So it's been yeah. a, legitimate, a legitimate 11 years for them to be in the race and 12 years, of course, for them to be in it. Crazy, crazy. What were your expectations versus in the beginning of the year versus where they are now, and why do you think you were right or wrong about what you initially initially thought of this team well my expectations were certainly they were going to be improved i thought they would be an 85 to 90 point team and that's not going to get you in the playoffs 85 to 90 points but that's going to be a significant improvement and a significant advancement in their program what's happened here to me is really two things they've accelerated their development faster than i would have thought tage thompson and rasmus Dahlin didn't become nice young players. They've become superstars, which you could not have envisioned. Alex Tuck is having a career year. 
Um, the goaltending of Lukanen, you know, he started out slowly. He's won 13 games now. Picked it and up. really the other yep. thing, uh, the other thing, Steve, is teams have come back to the pack. Last year was the outlier. Last year is the only year in history where every team had 100 points to make the playoffs. That's not normally what it takes. Normally you have 95, you're probably going to get in. The funny part is we all expected the Boston Bruins to be the team to take the step back. Obviously, they've gone the other way under Jim Montgomery, but we have seen other teams take steps back. The Florida Panthers have gone from President's Trophy winners to probably not going to make it unless something big happens with them. Right? They, they, they panicked. They didn't retain the coach. They made a trade that, you know, I love Matthew Kachuk, but I think Jonathan Huberto was a better fit for them, and... It hasn't really been that great a trade for either side, and plus they traded McKenzie Weger in that trade. And the other thing is, lo and behold, here are the Buffalo Sabres trying to sneak into the playoffs. And who are they chasing, Steve? Who are they trying to knock out? They're trying to knock out either the Alex Ovechkin-led Capitals or the Sidney Crosby-led Pittsburgh Penguins. And right now, they're two points behind the Capitals with three games in hand and with two head-to-head meetings left. Now, they're done with Pittsburgh. They're even in games in hand. They're a point behind. But that's kind of funny to me, too, is if the Sabres were to make it this year, the likelihood of who they would beat out for that spot would be an iconic player of an iconic franchise. Right. The, the NHL would not be pleased with them taking uh, either of those guys out of the playoffs. You know, the one thing for me that's big, and this is just a personal thing, I guess, but I was really annoyed all summer listening to everyone talk about how much better and how much further along Detroit and Ottawa were. You know, Absolutely. I'm just so happy that that's not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just so happy. You know, and it started early too. The Sabres just thumped Detroit right away, early in the year. Yeah, and the Thompson six six point game really, yeah. I think, sent a message right away. And to me, I was much bigger on Ottawa than Detroit. I am not a big believer you can have a sudden turnaround through trades and free agency, and that's the way Steve Eiserman did it in Detroit. He kind of did. You know, I know it's Steve Eiserman, and he's on a certain pedestal. Steve Eiserman kind of did what Tim Murray did with the Sabres in 2016. He went big on veterans and trades and David Perron, and he got Billy Huso, you know, Andrew Kopp, and free agency, and it just doesn't work. I was much more, you know, gung-ho on Ottawa, even they made big trades, too. They got to bring Cat, they got Claude Giroux in, but Ottawa has better prospects. And to me, they've both been, you know, very disappointing, and I think certainly in their markets, especially, Ottawa's finally turned it around a little. They've won three in a row. But there was talk in Ottawa that DJ Smith might be on the hot seat here. But I, I think there's no question the Sabres prospect pool, the Sabres current NHL talent, the Sabres current coaching have passed Detroit and Ottawa. And right now they're ahead of Florida. And realistically, the Sabres should finish fourth in the Atlantic Division this year. Will that be enough to make the playoffs remains right, to be we'll seen, see. but yeah. they probably are the fourth best team in the division. Fair. You know, we, you mentioned Eisenman, so let's talk about Adams for a second because I feel like he's stacking the W's right now. You know, and when he when he was hired, there was a lot of disappointment. Maybe people were uh, thought he would be a yes man for the Pagulas. People he lacked experience. People thought it was another example of the Pagulas being clueless, and maybe they were and got lucky. I don't know, but. At this point, he's certainly stacking the wins. I mean, his plan has been good. He's changed the culture. 
Uh, he seems like he did a great job on the Jack Eichel trade, which was the kind of the number one thing facing him when he started is how, how you know what to do with with that. And you know he's been patient, and now is the next the next obstacle for him, right? This next few weeks, how do you add if that's the idea without breaking the plan too much? Like you don't want to not do anything and disappoint everyone. But you want to do something probably, but not too much because you don't want to break the plan. You're ahead of schedule here. How do you keep moving forward uh, without disrupting it too much? I think is his next obstacle. What are your thoughts on Adams and the way he's kind of in stacking W's and where you see the next few weeks for him as being the next kind of important thing in, in, in his Yeah, career? I mean, I, I like the fact it's kind of funny for somebody who for a living tells people what they should do. I like the fact Adams doesn't listen to anybody. Adams doesn't listen to the outside noise. He has stuck with his plan. He has not deviated from it. He did not deviate from the the Eichel plan, getting the best trade he could get, right. even if it took in in November. Yep. And now we're going to see what is Adams going to do with the trade deadline when he should be adding instead of selling. Now, my theory of the trade deadline <clears throat> doesn't change just because an hour before we started talking, the Islanders acquired Bo Horvat. I still think the Sabres need to run it out with this group. And really, they don't only need a minor tweak here or there. I'd like to see another veteran depth defenseman in here. I don't need Jacob Chikrin. All the Jacob Chikrin talk. Too expensive. How, yeah. Right. Yeah. What are they going to do paying Darlene and Power and yeah. Samuelson and Jacob Chikrin? You can't do it. Not to mention all the um, capital it's going to cost to bring him in here. You right. Know it's I mean? going to yeah. cost you. Yeah. It's going to cost you Olofsson and first round picks yeah. and. I think this team deserves a little help. It's probably in defense, but this team also deserves the chance to make this run together. I don't want to trade Casey Middlestad or Olofsson when they put in four or five years here, right when the team is getting good and has a chance to go somewhere. Right now, I do look at it. Don't fix what isn't broken here. Let's not forget, they had an eight-game losing streak which was mostly a product of their, all their injuries on defense, okay? Yeah. Yep, three guys out. Around, yep. around the eight-game losing streak, they're 26-11-4. That's elite. I don't need to do a lot to fix this team. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I need depth on defense, but I think they should just go make the run with this group and see where it lands because they're dangerous. Do you really think the Boston Bruins or the Carolina Hurricanes – are all that thrilled with the prospect of playing Buffalo in the first round of the playoffs? Now, the Bruins especially have the experience edge, but this is a dangerous team offensively. And, you know, you don't know how the goaltending is going to hold up in the playoffs if they make it or the defense. But I don't know. There are wild card teams that I would much rather play at certain times of certain years than the Buffalo Sabres of 2023. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I don't think you're going to want to deal with the youth and naivety and the speed that they have. You know what I mean? It's just there's something about that house money spot that they'll be in if they do make it you know one of the right. one of the other big accomplishments for adams has been granado right meatballs i mean you look yeah. at you look at the, the the big one of the big strikes on the previous gms the coaches they hired uh because for yeah. whatever reason they didn't work out and and i mean the certainly the kruger hire every day looks worse and worse based on the way the players right. that just seem to fail under him are succeeding under under the next coach. Um, it seems like he did such a great job there, identifying him to to 
to damn the the to you know to to hold the water back for a bit and then to be a part of the vision long term was is another win for him and he's done a great job developing these guys and I think that that's why I say too and you can you mentioned Middlestat and Olsen these are two guys everyone hated for the first you know two months of the year they're playing so much better you know he's found right. a way to get something out of Krebs you know who thought move Krebs down to fourth line and see him flourish there because he was doing nothing anywhere else, right? It seems like he's pushing the right buttons with this group. And that's just another win for Adams, right? I mean. Yeah, and I think Adams, that was Botterill's biggest failing. Botterill wasn't bad. He made a couple good bad drafts. draft books, made a lot, yeah. of, a lot of good draft picks yep. too. But he hired Housley and he hired Kruger. And that ultimately led to Botterill's demise. Adams could have gone out and told the Pagulas, look, we got to go get Bruce Boudreaux, who wanted the job, by the way. Right. But Adam saw the job Granado did just in comparison to Kruger for those last 20 games or so. And he saw that Granado was getting through to this club. And he saw the fact that Granado was on board with coaching a young team. And then we saw last year a lot of which was screwed up by the COVID situations. And what happened at the end of the year last year? Again, this is what I say, Steve. This is not some short-term heater this team is on. They finished last year 16-9 and 3. Yep. That's that's you know 42-28 and 7 here now in the last 77 games. That's 91 points. You know, this is not short-term success here. They have been good since last March. And I think we're past the time now are they any good? They are good. It's just a question of how good they're going to get this year in the concept of the playoffs and the schedule. But you're right. Adams was the one who's made a lot of good trades and clearly has, it seems like has made some good draft picks. And Adams was the one. Yes, Granado came cheaply, I'm sure. I'm sure the Pagulas like that. But Adams also knew that this was the right guy to coach a development team. And now we're going to see how Adams does the trade deadline. Yep. And we're going to see how Granado does taking the next step with this team trying to achieve and not just going for individual development. Here's what I'm really, I'm really interested to find this out from you. Cause you're, you're traveling around, you're going to the different buildings, you're talking to your friends in the, in the writer's association. What is the, what are people saying about the Sabres outside of Buffalo? Like are people starting <laughs> to believe in this team? Are they taking them seriously? Do they think it's, Oh, they're just on another one of their kind of runs where they're good for a minute. And then they won't be like, what is the person? What are you starting to hear in the other arenas? No, what you hear is people are blown away seeing this club live. Guys have watched on TV. They've looked at stat sheets. They've followed the standings. They're blown away by the style live, the, the, the waves of attack they come in. They're blown away by the way Darlene can set things up. They're blown away by the Skinner thompson tuck line and by some of the depth i mean the goal Jack quinn scored in minnesota mm. the goal that the tuck line you know scored in winnipeg with thompson and skinner you know in st louis people were blown away in st louis they were down three to nothing in 10 minutes and it was two to nothing after a minute and a half so that's what people have noticed right away is just the speed with which you watch this team play and the speed with which they attack is something that does not translate nearly on television like it does in the rink, and they're seeing it firsthand. Was there a moment or a game for you that made you feel like it was different? I know for me it was that I went to the – I was at the Tampa game. They lost in overtime, but yeah. 
just seemed like they took their best shot from them. They got up two goals late. They blew the lead, but that felt like almost like it was a good thing, like one of those moments for this young group to kind of get knocked back. And Stamkos scored the winner and a beautiful goal, but it just felt like they got to see everything that you need to be to get to that level. And then they also got to see that they weren't that far off. It just felt like a big night for me. Um, what about for you? What was a, was there a moment or a game or a night where you feel like something went on for this team, like kind of that light ball game or anything like that? Well, it's funny you mentioned that game against Tampa, which was a game that was frustrating for Lucan, and there were a couple goals that clearly he wanted yeah. back. Oh, yeah. And that, and that was at home. That was November 28th. I mean, to me, there were two that stand out. One was actually the game in Tampa – Early in the eight-game losing streak, you know, you go to the, the team that's won the East three years in a row, and it's three-three with four minutes to go, and there's nineteen thousand people, and you're going yeah. head-to-head with them. That was that weekend, Conley, right, with Carolina too. They played great yeah. in both those games that didn't get the result. Yep. Yeah, and that yeah. that was a big week, and Comrie didn't like the goal he gave up against Tampa. And then the other one to me was when we started the road trip in mid-December, and they went out to Colorado. And, yeah, the Avalanche have some injury problems, and they've finally started to turn it around a little. But you go out and you play the Stanley Cup champions like that, and you win on their home ice to start that road trip that they ended up sweeping Arizona and Vegas. I was really impressed by that game. And I was, you know, by the time we got to Boston on New Year's Eve, you know, they could compete with the Bruins, and they won that game in overtime. They laid an egg the next night in Ottawa. But to me, the the Colorado game really stood out. I I heard a lot of voices and saw a lot of eyes in the locker room saying, we just beat the Stanley Cup champs on their home ice. And I really think that was a significant night for the development of this team. Well, and that kind of brings up the unbelievable splits, right? The 10-1-2, and I guess now on the road against the West, a great road record versus the home record, which isn't as good. And there's so much out there. Like now there's so many sites, so many people, so many tweets, so many dumb podcasts like this one, so many people saying so many things. And you hear stuff like, you know, uh, like I heard this anecdote, who knows if it's true, but that uh, Darlene was slumping for a few games and they weren't sure why. And it was, he was so worried about Middlestat because this is when Middlestat was struggling that he was like sick to his stomach and losing sleep because it's the brotherhood they have. They're so close. And maybe that's an exaggeration, but ultimately, but it's a good story. And I wonder if the way they are, the way they've grown up together, I wonder if when they get on the road together, if there's just something to that, that's made them so much better on the road. Now we're seeing at home that they seem to respond when the building's full versus some of the lighter games. But what do you think about the splits and what have you kind of gathered from it? Conclusion wise, if anything. Well, it's very simple to me, Steve. When the crowd in Buffalo is over seventeen thousand, this team is yeah. this team is five one and one. Mm-hmm. So you can interpolate that they're six eleven and one when it's under seventeen thousand. And there's been some games in the nine or ten thousand range. They have not been able to generate their own energy if there's no crowd. If the building's a library, they haven't responded. That's a maturity thing. They're going to need to learn how to do that. Because they go on the road, and let me tell you, it's been an unbelievable year for travel. These buildings we've been gone in have just been jazzed almost every night. And these guys love it. They respond to it. It's the opposite of what you think. They should fold up. They should, you know, be, you know, cower to the noise and the atmosphere. It motivates them even more. And the only game, you know, they blew the big lead in Detroit, won in the shootout. The only game they kind of pissed away was in Chicago. Right. But at the time when the 
you know, the Blackhawks had won six, were winning six out of seven and played pretty well. And even that, they got one point out of it. They didn't completely blow up. You can't blow that game, but it happens. I mean, look at all the games they won. You never would have thought they would have got two points. So blowing one in Chicago, give me a break. Um, I just think they respond to the atmosphere. And it's going to become a story here starting against Carolina on Wednesday. Are there going to be 18,000 people to greet this team Wednesday night? Or are there going to be 12,000 people? And I don't know what the answer is going to be. Are we a city where we only want to go to hockey games on the weekend? The weekend crowds are great, but other cities, I went to Dallas last week on a Monday and there were 18,000 people in the building. So I think there's going to be a real sense of people like me watching the fans here and seeing what kind of buy-in this team has because all I've heard for 10 years properly is I'm not going to support this team and this garbage, and there's been a lot of garbage. Well, if you don't support this team now, what's the reason? Right now, maybe the reason maybe the reason is the arena sucks and the scoreboard <laughs> sucks and, and the concessions stink and the roast beef on whack is you know shoe leather and I get all that and they just hired a new a new CFO on it, you know. So we'll see if they make some moves here with this arena. And I understand that. You need some new but, seats, you know. <laughs> you need new seats, yeah. but you know what? If you want if you want six dollar tickets, this is the NHL. And that was fantasy land, and right. that's over. And that was because it was garbage. Do... You you paid what you paid for right. what you get, right? The tickets were six dollars because the product was garbage. This isn't garbage, right? Right. The broker the brokers had all the seats, a lot of the seats. And no, no, you're going no to have to pay, them. yeah. Right, you yeah. pay forty bucks for a three hundred level seat, but I want to see what kind of support this team gets because we know Saturday the eleventh against Calgary at twelve thirty in the afternoon there'll be eighteen thousand people there. But what are they going to get for a Wednesday night against? You know, a team that could win the Stanley Cup. Well, and you know what is interesting? Yeah, Mike, you know what's interesting, too? And it kind of brings up another point. Bill's season's over now, right? Thank you. I've been wondering. The Bills are done. That's over. Season's over. It's Sabres time. And I wonder how many people were kind of saving some money, you know, that maybe they had money set aside. They were going to go to Atlanta. You know, maybe they were saving. They're going to really make a splash. If the Bills go, I got to be there for it, whatever. Maybe there's right. some, some extra money for sports, you know, that and 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 because they've played so well, it'll be interesting now post Bills season how much of the the kind of that kind of casual hockey fan they kind of capture now and pull in. And if they get a lot of them, the building will be packed every night. You know what I and mean? And you could have a lot and you could have a lot of money floating around. If yeah. you were gonna go to Atlanta yep. and you were gonna go to Arizona, you were gonna spend a lot of money you didn't spend. And they only have what four home games in February or five, something like that, a very few amount. So you c- you know this is a good time. It's this Carolina game, it's interesting because it's kind of a one off in a sense, you know. So if you want to spend right. some money on a Sabres game, it's now or much later from now, you know. So yeah, and then one of the problems in February is one of the home games is against the Leafs, so there probably aren't right. many tickets left because right. all the Toronto fans have probably sucked all those tickets up. Right, and that will be fun. It, it's going to be the first Leafs game in a long time where both teams are. It's going to be the best Leafs, Leafs game since Eichel and Matthews are going back and forth that one night here. I don't know what that I'm, was. I'm, yeah, the night where Sabotka should have tackled Matthews and let yep, him beat yep, Omar yep, with, yep. with two seconds left. Exactly. But the Leafs, game, the Leafs games disgust me. They right. really disgust me, Steve. I am tired. They have for decades. Of seeing, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm tired of seeing 13,000 people in the building rooting for the other team. That's got to stop. Yeah. No, you're right. You know, and we'll and we'll see what happens here. But I think the first real sign of where this fan base is with this team is coming up against Carolina Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I put my money where my mouth was. I mean, I've sat on this show and to my friends and family, 
I'm not going to spend money there until there's something to spend it on. And my brother called me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, there's something to spend money on. You in? I said, I'm in. We bought, you know, we got some games. You know what I mean? So, and I think that more people are going to do that. I think yeah, people are going to want to support them. All right. So the sportscaster here with Mike Carrington. Uh, he's super nice to do this. It's all basically all-star break. Um, him and Lance do a great job covering the team for the Buffalo News. We don't know how lucky we are uh, to still have a newspaper in town that covers the team as thoroughly and as well as those two guys do. So props to you guys. It's great coverage. Um, and you can get it online or you can go buy it at the newsstand or they'll bring it to your door still. The paper boy is still out there waiting to bring it to you. Um, so do that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the the stars of the team real quick because for a while this team was all about one guy, right? It was yep. – we, I think we, you were on one time. We talked for one hour. We didn't do anything but talk about Eichel. Well, what about his passing too much? Oh, he's doing this. It was just so hyper-focused. Uh, it's nice to be out of that business, out of the Eichel business in general. I, I'm, I'm, I Have fun, Vegas, right? But let's talk about Thompson and Darlene for a second. Let's start with Thompson. Um, obviously, it's hard when you make a trade that's going to benefit one team now and one team later to be patient and to not – jump off the ledge like we all did when O'Reilly was walking around with the Conn Smythe trophy or whatever, right? Right. Like right. but Tage Thompson has we're we're at later now and the guy's a stud and he's a star and people are saying Mario Lemieux and crazy things like that and they don't say that often. Um he's just got a unique set of skills that kind of nobody else is that long and that tall and that fast and that patient. He's just a very unique offensive talent in terms of the rest of the league. What have you seen with the growth of Thompson and his play kind of taking it to even that extra level? And then the fact that it's already going to be next summer the most team-friendly contract in the entire league. Yeah, when I was in Dallas, I was talking to Miro Heiskanen, the star star defenseman. And he said Thompson is the closest thing in the league right now to playing against Evgeny Malkin, which is a pretty high compliment, I would oh, say. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the kind of skill no one else has at that size – those kind of hands, that shot, that kind of vision on the ice. You know, let's not forget all the goals here. Thompson's got 34 goals. He's got 34 assists. Yeah. You know, he's a tremendous playmaker. Let's not overlook that fact. And he's developed into a star player. And as the goals have dried up a little, the shooting percentage has gone down, the defensive pressure's increased, his assists have gone up. You know, Tuck and Skinner are having great years too. But what you've seen from Thompson is, the evolution of a player who Granado made the move to put him to center. Tage Thompson would have never been Tage Thompson if Jack Eichel was still here. Okay. Right. Maybe don't change positions. Right. And and after game seven in 2019, I'm on the ice and we're talking to Doug Armstrong, the blues GM. And I asked a question about O'Reilly and he looked down and saw my pass and saw Buffalo news and unprompted said to me, Tage Thompson is going to be a great player and Buffalo is going to like that deal an awful lot. And at the time, you're just thinking he's yeah, giving right. bottle yeah. of, right. he's throwing bottle of solid here to save the guy from getting killed for trading O'Reilly. Yeah. But you know they did they basically didn't want to give up Jordan Cairo or Robert Thomas in that deal. But Bottle was like pretty adamant. Oh, we'll take Thompson off your hands. Right. And you know that's something else on Bottle's legacy that's getting Thompson for O'Reilly. And, and now all of a sudden you have this unicorn kind of player as Peter DeBoer called him in Dallas, and the guy's an all-star, and he's the top player. And how many goals is he going to get this year, Steve? Is he going to get 50, 55 goals? Oh, he he's might. Gonna, he's he's going to get 50. He's going to get 50. Sure. I just know it. Yeah, I just know it's a, it. It's quite it's quite a, quite a story. It's unbelievable. My my brother played at Yale, you know that, and uh, his lineman, right. one of his, his best friend at Yale was Kenny Agostino, 
who's played in the league a little bit, and he was in the Blues organization with Thompson. And he was telling mm-hmm. me this story about how they would com- they were they would tease Thompson and say he's like a baby deer because he was so <laughs> lanky and uncoordinated, and that's how they kind of bust the yeah. balls with him. And yeah. one of the assistant coaches was kind of like sitting in the lunchroom, and Thompson walked out, and he sat down with all the guys that were kind of joking with him and said, you guys are joking now. He said, but someday that baby deer, he said he's, he's going to grow up and he's going to be the biggest buck in the league. And uh, I think we're seeing that. You know what I mean? Just an unbelievable – development and again a win for a win for um for uh the coach i think there too they've done a great job in developing guys and that kind of brings us to Darlene because he was the you know super hype that finally we won a lottery and um you know defensemen develop a little bit slower you know um there was had to be a little patience there we saw a little bit of regression under kruger which i mean he the Darlene and and how he played post and you know, before with and after Kruger is such an indictment on that poor guy because he was a really nice guy. But holy crap! Yeah. Uh, what about Darlene and his maturation? And I still don't think we've seen the best of him. Like I still think there's another gear there, kind of. I mean, sure, I, he's I, on an upward yeah. upward plane. He's at he's at fifty five points. Fifty five points, know. Mike. Yeah. And Lance talked to Housley the other day for a story in Sunday's paper. And Housley kind of knew it, and Housley was good for Darlene. He Darlene was. liked yep. playing for Housley. Yep. You know, and we, you know, if if Housley had been able to survive and stay on, maybe Dolly never goes through what he went through under Kruger. Kruger just didn't want that freewheeling, full attack style. Think about it. I'm not a big plus minus guy, Steve, but Dolly was minus thirty six. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. Rasmus Dolly minus thirty six. Right now he's plum looking. He's plus twenty one this year. Yeah, never again. So in- we'll never see that again. Yeah. No, so he's yeah. he's he's flipped the plus minus fifty seven wow. rungs in two years. Wow! But uh, he is now the number one overall pick you envisioned in twenty eighteen. He's a superstar defenseman. He's certainly going to be in the top five in the Norris voting this year. Probably in the top three. That's just stupid. The the entire All Star game is only five defensemen. Yeah, and three it's a of joke. The Central Division. Give me a break. They should at least have one or two defensemen on every team. Um, every team in the league. Every single one wants Erasmus Dahlin. Let me tell you, because there aren't that many of them out there. And now they're looking at Buffalo going, wow, they got Dahlin. Oh, this, this Samuelson guy, what a steal. What a contract. This guy is just a, yep. a de- defensive dynamo, 22 minutes a night, 22 years old. And holy cow, they got this Owen Power guy. 20. Six foot, <laughs> yep. six foot five, 20 years old. 20. You know, I, I tweeted this the other day, and I walked away from my computer, and like, Two hours later, I called my phone. I had like 500 likes, and it was just an innocuous thing, but it really is a good point the more I think about it. How good is Owen Power now? He's 20 years old. Yep. How good is Owen Power going to be at 22? How good is he going to be at 24? How good is he going to be at 26? Is Owen Power another Scott Niedermeyer? Is he another Victor Hedman? What is he? Yeah. You don't you don't see too many guys. Guys the you know, limit. 20... 23-39 at 20 years old in his rookie year in the league. You can talk to me about Matty Beneers all you want. To me, I said before the year I picked Owen Power to win the Calder. If I was voting today, I would vote Owen Power to win the Calder. I don't think he's going to win it. I think the whole Matty Beneers train is really down out of the station here. Right. But who knows how it continues on if People Owen Power keeps too. this up. Yeah. People love forwards, People and he had forwards. no goals until yeah. last week, but... This this is the best 
rookie, the most impactful rookie in the league, a defenseman playing twenty three forty at night. You got to be kidding me! A couple when I, I had season tickets for a while, and the people behind me—it's a really great Canadian family—and the son at the time was. You know, he's a boy and he knew everything about every hockey player in the world. And he's a man now and he knows every everything about every hockey player in two worlds. I don't know. And his dad, they're great people. We have a Discord. We were talking about this the other night. If you said to every GM, okay, we're, we're going to redraft the league and you can pick, you get the first pick, you get two picks, but they both have to be from the same team. I think you get a lot of McDavid and, and Dry Sidles. I think you get a lot of McKinnon and McCars, but you'd also get a lot of Thompson and Dalines or Dalines and Power, and then the and, and then his dad said, "Yeah, if they said they had to both be defensemen, we'd sweep it." You know, if, right. if you know, so what? I mean, how, when, when was the last time we could have said that in Sabres history? Right? No, I mean, you know, and, that, and that's the thing, right? That's the thing. You're talking about you're talking about elite talent, and for that's why for ten years of losing, you should be able to have a lot of talent. Now you right. should have collected a lot of talent, and they, and they really have. Yep. A lot of it, there's get some trades here, but I mean, you know, let's not forget Dylan Cousins is a number seven overall pick. In a crowded draft it, there too. Remember that draft? Yeah. Do you take Zegris? Do you take Cousins? There was, that was a really, that was one where the top 10 was really good and a tough, right. tough, you know, and, and I, I'll admit I kind of wanted Zegris and he's been fine, but in retrospect, they picked the perfect guy for the team, right? I mean, he's, right. he's the perfect fit. You know, and, and the other thing is, let's not forget here, you know, they drafted Quinn, they drafted Middlestat, they drafted Paterka, they traded up to get Paterka. Yep. Alex Tuck is a trade acquisition. Tage Thompson is a trade acquisition. Jeff Skinner is a trade acquisition. The Buffalo Sabres built their entire first line on trades. Right. Good. You know, yeah. it's really, it, it's a point that really gets overlooked here. Did he, was but that one GM each, too? Uh, Alex Tuck was obviously Kevin Adams. Yep. Uh, Tage Thompson Botterill. was Botterill. Skinner. And Jeff Skinner was Botterill. Oh, was it? Okay, it was Botterill. Okay. Well, I thought that yeah. might have been Murray. Okay. Fair enough. So, you know, your whole top line is built on trades, but your defense is all built on draft picks. And again, yep. another Botterill point. Where was Matias Samuelson taken? He was taken number 32 Second in the Darlene year. Yep. You know, so I mean, Botterill, Botterill's failing was head coach hiring. Yep. But Botterill did a lot of things well that are resonating and may resonate with this franchise for a long time. I had no problem and, and don't have any problem. And it needed to be done with them taking, you know, Quinn and Paterka and putting them in the press box. Right move. And, you know, it, it seemed to work too. And they might have to do it again. Yep. Who knows over the course of the year. But this is kind of something I think, and I'll ask what you think. If you say to me, the Sabres make the playoffs. What is going to be one of the bigger storylines? What went right these last, you know, 30 games or whatever? I don't really rush to the Thompson or Dalina. I'm going to say that when Cousins and Quinn and Paterka, when That's, that line is good, when yep. they're skating the other team into oblivion and when they're clicking, it's it's an amazing team. When they're really, really slumping, it's not as good, you know? So if I think if they do make it, that line is going to be key because they don't hit a wall or they hit a wall, but they're managed properly by by the coaching staff, whatever it is, and, and, and they get the best of them in the last 30 games. 
Is there something like that? Maybe you agree with that or something else that you think if we're sitting here in a few months and they made it, they won a couple of playoff games, scared the hell out of Boston, maybe beat somebody, who knows, that's going to be the story of why it happened? Well, the first thing is uh, is pretty obvious is that Lukanen has to hold up. Okay. Right. Let's assume Lukanen holds up. Fair, very fair. And, and, I think the, and I think the second thing is depth up front. It cannot be a one-line team. It hasn't been a one-line team for the last two months. That's why they're winning. Um, even, you know, the Tyson Jost, a tremendous waiver pickup, has changed Middlestat and Olofsson. The Krebs line, like you mentioned earlier. But you're right. I think back to, you know, 2005, 2006. Let's not forget here, Steve. Thomas Vanek was a third-line player back then. Yep. That team that team had depth all up and, up and down the lineup, and that's what this team is trying to develop. They're trying to develop the kind of depth that you have a clear first line, but the other lines are just as dangerous. And we've seen... Plenty of shifts with Krebs, Akpozo, and Gergensen cycling the puck down low, 30, 45 seconds, driving the other team crazy. And even if the puck doesn't end up in the net, that's positive momentum, and they go to the next line, and a lot of times it's Thompson, Skinner, and Tuck, and the game has already changed. So that, those are the kind of things that are happening. But you're right. I think a little more offense from Quinn and Paterka and that line in particular, because Cousins is on the way to what? 25 to 28 He's got goals 17 probably? right now 17 they have right. they have five guys with 17 goals or more and three lines are represented so you know so you got Olsen from that line cousins from that line and then the three from the big line so we are seeing the depth and a 14 goal and a 14, and a 14 goal, goal defenseman right yeah right so you're seeing you're seeing that depth and that's what I think is something they haven't had through most of the Eichel years they were a one line team the whole team was about Eichel yep it's 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 not a one line team anymore. It's a very good number one line with a lot of other good forwards making a lot of good contributions. Let me ask you about Middlestat real quick because he did he did kind of draw the 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 Zitnik treatment or the Schmelk treatment. I always think of those guys <laughs> that you know it was either one of them or both of them that everyone hated. You know what I mean? Oh, Zitnik it never hits the damn net. It's always over the net. You know people hated him or people would pick on Schmelk. There's always a guy in every team that just seems to get in the bullseye and can't get out of it. Middlestat's been that guy this year. Olsen at times, too, although I think he's kind of climbing out of it. Um, I think the last, I don't know how far I want to go back, 15 games, I'll say, it's been a much different Casey Middlestat than we've seen the first however many. I think we're seeing a much better player. I think he's shown signs. I think they've been patient with him, and and I think they're going to be rewarded. Where do you stand on Middlestat and kind of how he's handled the being that guy, you know, the schmelic of this team that just seems to be everyone's pissed <laughs> off at him. Uh, maybe you got a better name for that, but those are the first two. Well, actually, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I always use on Twitter that a, a guy misses the net high and wide. I saw you Zitnik. Yeah, Zitnik. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> you know, so I, poor Zitnik still lives that still way. Lives, but, yeah. the, but you're right. I mean, Middlestat struggled early, and he knew he struggled early. But what's happening now is he's a lot more confident with the puck. We've seen some impact on the power play. And there's a lot of shifts where Middlestat is the one working the puck down low. And, and, and this is something Don Granato said to us that we all shook our heads about and we had to realize the impact of Tyson Jost and his team. Granato even says to us, hey, guys, Tyson Jost has played more games in the NHL than Alex Tuck. Wow. Like, what, is he ta- what is he talking about? And I looked, he's right. He has. 
And it's easy to forget that because Tyson Jost was a top 10 pick in 2016. But th- that has been a tremendous impact for Middlestat and Olsen. For free, now, too. They got him for free. For free. Yep. We know we know Middlestat can play the wing. Tyson Jost can go down the middle. Middlestat really has worked the wall very well. Yeah, plays Olsen's hard. up to – yeah, Olsen's up to 23 goals, and this, you know, the narrative, oh, he's just a power play guy. People, Olsen's got 18 goals at even strength. He's only got five in the power play. Five power play, play goals, yeah. Yeah, not this so year. So let's not. That, not, right, not, that narrative get, doesn't work this year. Let's get the uh, Olsen has one fewer goal at, at even strength than Tage Thompson, okay? Wow. Tage Thompson's got 19 Yeah, he's got 14 strength. power play goals, Thompson. Right. Yeah, I got so, it. So I think – Middlestad and Olsen have come around. They were struggling early. Tyson Jones was a big reason. But you're right. It's another example. Which line of this team, of the four lines right now, can you honestly sit here and say, God, I hate that line? You have to like all four lines yeah, none right of them. now, the way this thing yeah. is going. Right. Yeah. You don't mind whoever's on the ice. You don't mind. And that's something they haven't had since when? 2000. 10, 2007? I mean, it's been a long time. And I know in my heart they're going to get more out of that Cousins, Quinn, and Paterk line. I just think all three of those guys are so talented. And right. when they're going, I mean, they score beautiful goals. Sometimes they get guilty of overpassing a little bit, and I think that's held them back. Yeah. But I think that as they get more games and as they play more, they're going to shoot more. You know, that's they're, we saw that with Eichel even, kind of the overpassing sometimes when these kids first come up. So I, yeah, and they and they do things that would work in Rochester, and you're sitting there going, "Ah, oh, Jack yeah. and JJ, that's not, not you're not playing the Belleville Senators sure. here, you know, that's not going to work." But uh, Cousins certainly doesn't doesn't fall into that trap. But Quinn and Paterka, you you know where they're headed. You see the flashes. You've seen some brilliance at times. You've seen some times where you're like, "What are they doing?" They're kids. But the thing is, with those two. The work ethic is there. The talent is there. You see where it's going. It's just a question of how fast they get there. But based on the way some of these other guys have gotten there, they're going to get there. The Sportscasters are here with Mike Harrington, finishing up at by M Harrington on Twitter. Of course, uh, the Buffalo News columnist, uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame voter. We can't blame you for Scott Rowland, right, Mike? Uh, I mean, I voted. I, my column's up today. You know, I did vote for him for the last three years. It is it is kind of a, a new way of thinking of the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, you know, I even wrote it. I covered that 4 World Series. He went 0 for 15 against the Red Sox. But you look at him, he's one of the greatest defensive third basemen at an underrated position. He played 17 years. Um, it's a tough call. You know, it was one of those years where weren't many guys really right. good on there. I, right. I didn't know if anybody was going to get in. But he got in and, you know. I'm okay with it. I mean, he was certainly a great player, but, you know, you can't say, why. Well, even though I did in my column, why isn't Don Mattingly in? Why isn't Keith Hernandez in? Why isn't Dale Murphy, Dale Murphy in or Lou yep. Whitaker? Yep. But there's just different guys at different times. The ballot's limited, so there's a lot of circumstance involved here, and, you know, the ballot kind, kind of opened up for Scott Rowland this year. All right. Let me ask you this. Uh, one, one or two more, and I'll let you go. We'll get out of here. But let me ask you about the interest, one interesting storyline Get off the ice is Kim Pagula's health, right? We don't really know exactly what happened there. She was in away from the team. Um, I don't, you know, th- there's been this perception that the Pagulas care more about the Bills. They don't care about as much about the Sabres. And we kind of said before, football season's over now. Um, I'd assume that we're going to see Terry at games more. We're going to, uh, the, are they going to get too involved? What, what do you think about the Pagulas' role with this team uh, the last year or so? Do you think that they finally found their guy they just really trust and they're going to let 
Kevin Allen kind of do their thing, and he he's an extension of them. Where where do you where do you kind of stand with them? I know that the city has had an up and down relationship with them, especially on the hockey side. But where do you think the 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 team and and everything stands with the Pagulas right now in terms of the well, Sabers specifically? The, the first thing I would say is Terry Pagula wants to win the Stanley Cup today just as much as he did the first day he walked in in 2011. I believe it. His, his life is much different now. He's an NFL owner, which in 2011 wasn't on his radar. Um, obviously, his wife is you know, enduring a very serious medical situation, the details of which really remain incredibly secretive. We don't know much about. And as time marches on, things happen in life. But, uh, you know, the commitment to the Sabres and the Bills is certainly there. They have to figure out once this football stadium is locked up and all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, what they're going to do with their, you know, dungeon of a hockey arena. Right. Um, but, you know, I think they've learned, and Terry's learned, to bug off. Terry's yeah. learned to get out of the way. Terry was responsible for Christian Erhoff. Terry was responsible for Billy Leno. Terry was responsible for not drafting Mikhail Sergachev when they took Alex Nylander. Um, I think Terry understands now, and I think Terry simply has more trust in Kevin Adams than he's had in anyone else in the GM seat. And you look, when he fired Botterill, what did he say? We felt we weren't being listened to, and that's a problem if the GM's not listening right. to ownership. Um, they got their guy, right? You know, this is the guy they, they got their guy. They believe in. And, and, we'll, yep. and now they have to figure out the business end of this operation. They have to figure out ticketing. They have to figure out you know, concessions in this horrible arena and what are they going to do about getting a new scoreboard and get rid of that tinker toy hanging from the ceiling. And they hired John Roth as the chief operating officer and has no experience in professional sports, but is a tremendous apparently financier. And my assumption is he has a, a long relationship with Terry Pagula and we'll see what the impact is there. I mean, he's certainly going to be doing many of the things that on the business side that Kim has done in the past. Um, and that's a pretty big hire that they brought in here within the last couple of weeks. So we're going to see what direction that takes them. But, uh, the idea that Pagulas aren't committed, I mean, for all these years they were losing, they were spending pretty close to the salary cap. Right. But I always say it's not spending the most money. It's spending the right money, throwing all that money at Christian Verhoff and Billy Lano didn't do anything. Right. You so don't want to end up spend... in a situation that Vancouver's in or something. You know what I mean? No. Right now, where you just... Yeah, and and look you're at their setup. Spend yep. money now. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, no, I'm sorry. sorry. No, it's, you're, it's, you're gonna you spend the money now, and people are saying, "Oh, they've got all this cap space." Well, they're planning ahead, right? Because they're not going to have all this cap space when Thompson's extension kicks in next year and Samuelson kicks in next year, and then when they have to pay Darlene ten or eleven million dollars, we have to pay yep. Cousins and Power eight or nine million dollars. So they're planning multiple years out. And they're in a great position to do all those things. We never have to have a, you know, January, July first, two thousand seven, again, because we know that the owner, nope, nope, when it's time to write the check, he's going to write the check. I, I have no question he's going to write the check. His football yep. team is over the over the cap. They have to yep. figure out how to get under the cap. Sure. I, I just think this idea that Pagula's Terry Pagula's cheap is crazy. I think Terry Pagula got in the way, and in fact, spent too much money on the wrong things at times. He made other mistakes. He wasn't cheap. And I think the arena is salvageable. I mean, it was built in 1996, for God's sake. Well, it's salvageable, just yeah. like all these other arenas from the from the 1990s, from like Nashville, yep. Yep. Nashville, St. Louis, Philadelphia. What did they do, Steve? They put in about $300 million of renovation. That's what it's going to take. Yep. It's going to take 300 to $400 million, which is double the price that it costs to build the place. 
you know, to get it to the standard that it needs to be now. So we see in these other cities, these arenas of that era, all, St. Louis is another one, massive amounts of money. You can't build a new one every 25 or 30 years. You have to spend the money. They're going to do it. It's just a question of when they do it, where they're getting the money from, how much they're putting in. They're probably going to have to put in most of it themselves after they get the money for the football stadium. Sure. But, you know, they need to do it because, obviously, I know. I've been to all of them. They have, they have a very nice press box, just for the record, compared to many arenas. But that doesn't help Ted the Darling. fans. Ted, have, Ted Darling press right. conference, yeah. They have one of the worst arenas in the league. They have a terrible seating bowl. They have terrible concessions. They need a whole new rethink of the 300 level. They need to do a lot of stuff in that building. And they know they need to do a lot of stuff in that building. And they're going to have to really get on that in the next year or so. It's such a shame that a city with such a great, rich history of food and beverage could have an arena with horrible food and beverage, right? They got to they gotta fix that. You know, and the they got to do something about. They got to fix do something about what Delaware North is doing in there. If they yeah, can bring in another get them out of session. Yeah, for, stop uh, you know, it's, the just, it's just <laughs> it's just ter- it's just terrible. The number of tweets and emails and talking to people I get complaining about food and beverage in that building. And again, I go to all these other buildings and I see the tremendous offerings at some of the other places. And our place is just got people just so fired up about it. And I think that's one of the issues. If, if attendance doesn't pick up, it's because of it's because of it's too the loud seats, yep. the scoreboard, the food and beverage. There's a lot of problems off the ice for fans that don't So loud in, in there, too. It's unnecessarily loud. My quick story, I'll tell you. I went to Genesis there, right? I wanted to see Phil Collins. For it's the last time he's ever going to be here. I'd never seen him. You know, cross him off the list right. kind of a thing. I get a cheap ticket. It's a nice ticket. It's in the 100 level. Um, I picked it up the day of the show, and I go to, the, go, to go to the seat, and it's like, you know, it's the last row of the section, and... And there's no the seat just doesn't exist. And I look down and I see the bolts where the seat once was. Ah. They, they took it. Out, they took it out for where the band plays. Like you could see so the, the bolts, you know. So I call the guy over. I'm like, Here, "This is where my seat was." Because it must have been one of those they sold it before the pandemic. The tickets, right. the concert got moved, and then by the time the concert came around, that seat didn't exist anymore. So I ended up just getting moved to like a three thousand dollar seat down closer to the stage, which is fine for me. Um, but it just goes to show that, like, you know, the the, the has got issues, de- right? It's just a, a, details. a small anecdote there. But all right, details. do you have any questions for me, Mike? What 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 is what is going on? What is going on with Sean Payton? What is going on with the New Orleans Saints? Ah, uh, Sean Payton. I don't know. <laughs> See, because here's the thing, like, like the big the the Mickey Loomis. His plan was, I don't have a first-round pick, but don't worry. I'll get bailed out because someone's going to hire Sean, and I'll get a first-round pick. But now if no one hires Sean, there's no first-round pick. So now he's got to right. switch gears and, and start – he's got to re- redo the sell and say, well, we don't have one this year because we had two last year. And, you know, because they did draft two first guys in the first round last year and Olave and Penning, who both look very good. Uh, but here's the thing. The two most important things for a football team, an NFL football team, in my mind, is the coach and the quarterback, and they don't have either. So and, and as good as a lot of the other things are, I could tell you about Chris Olave. I could tell you about Ryan Ramchek and Tyler Penning and how they're going to be the best two tackles in the league. I can tell you about Marshawn Lattimore and how if he wants to be a Hall of Famer, he can be. He's just, it's just up to him. I can tell you all the things I love about the team, but the bottom line is there's two things that are most important. Coach, it, it was the worst coach Saints team in my life this year, and I lived through the Dicka era, 
And okay, maybe you want to say Dicka was worse. Fine, then second worst. But I mean, to be in the conversation with Dicka and how he was with the say, it's bad. He was really bad, Dennis Allen. And they're sticking with him, and they didn't fire any assistants, right? So um, I'm concerned. They feel like the Bills of 2010, 2011, of Trent Edwards, Dick Duran era, yeah. or they're just kind of no, no kind quarterback, stuck no in coach. Nowhere land. No quarterback, no right. coach. But they have really good players otherwise. That's the weird yeah. thing. They have, like, you, you could see. You, you would see in games where they would really outplay a team and then Andy Dalton throws two pick sixes in the last <laughs> two minutes of the half and you yeah. lost the game. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah, they're – but here, here I have to be honest though, right? A little bit of the trouble they're in is because of the way they manage the team at the end of the Breeze era, and I'd redo that every time. You know what yeah. I mean? I'd do that again every time. And if that means there's going to be some bad years here – as a fan, I have to accept that because before Breeze, you got the super, you got your Super got Bowl. Got a Super Bowl, and by the way, before Breeze was on the team, they won one playoff game ever in two thousand. Right, Akeem drops right. the ball, and uh, Breeze changed everything for them, and they owed it to him, and really to us as fans to to get everything they could out of him. And unfortunately, because the referees made, as Sean Payton said to the official on the field, a legacy changing mistake. We only ended up with one and maybe not two. And by the way, if they make that call, which of course they should have, and we win that game, which we would have, because he made right. the kick, right? We already know he's going to make the kick, and we make it at right. zero instead of 35 or 55, whatever it was. And they go play Tom Brady. If they beat him, Peyton and Breeze are retired with two Super Bowls, one against Brady and one against Manning. It's tough to beat for that era. So what I'm saying is they did everything they could to maximize 17, 18, 19, and 20. If that means 21, 22, 23 aren't going to be great, 24, maybe 25, I'd do it again. I would because we had to. And uh, See, I knew, I, I knew yeah. I'd get you fired up. Yeah, thanks. What do you want to talk about <laughs> next? What do you want to talk about next, Mike? World Cup qualifying? You want to get me down the uh, Italy? <laughs> Piss me off about that? Next? No. So. Oh, my God. All right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's at by I'm Harrington on Twitter, the Buffalo News. Great coverage. Mike and Lance do an incredible job. And I'm honestly – they do. Um, there was a time where the Buffalo News and Athletic were close in terms of the coverage. That's not the case anymore. Um, the best Sabres coverage is still the original, the newspaper. Number one in this town. There's places where it's different, where the Athletic is better. There's probably places where there's some website I don't know of is the best. But here it's still Michael Lance. So anything else you want to plug or mention as far as that goes? No, brother. You know I appreciate that very much. We do work hard, and yeah. I, you got to give it up to you got to give it up to news management for the commitment to travel. I mean, there's a lot of NHL teams that come to Buffalo without a single reporter announcers. in the building. They don't bring their yeah. announcers, right? I mean, there's teams you know, that don't. Yeah, still, and you know, we we're on the road for every game, getting yeah. stuff. We're in the locker room doing the work. So we appreciate everybody hanging with us and it following, shows. and uh, and I appreciate your kind words as well. All right, la- very, very, very last thing. Do they make it? Yes, okay. they make it, and uh, I think the thing to watch for it would be this: Can they get the number one wild card and avoid and, Boston? Yeah, <laughs> and and potentially play Carolina, or what about if the Devils could catch Carolina, mm. win the Metro? Oh, Lindy, would you would, <laughs> would play? A, how about a first rounder with Lindy and the Devils? That'd that would fun. certainly be fun. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you know, I just get in. You need to get these yeah, guys the experience cares? of getting in the playoffs, and I think that's very important. I think they all know that, and I think they're going to do it because I think they're better than some of these teams. Thank you, Mike. All right, brother. Take care. 
too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sudden way up high. I want to thank Mike Harrington for being on the podcast. I always love having Mike on, especially when the news is good. That was a change. Haven't had much good news around the Sabres and Mike in a while. Okay, quick book club update, and then we're going to get to my interview with Mr. Marcotti. The Science of Hockey, the Math, Technology, and Data Behind the Sport is a book by Kevin Snow. I got my copy in the mail. I got three copies in the mail, which means I have two copies for you. The sportscasters at gmail.com if you would like one. Uh, the book says this. Whether you're a casual hockey observer or a portionate, passionate fan who can't get enough of the game, there's something for everyone in the science of hockey. Kevin Snow spoke with former players and coaches along with numerous industry experts and media analysts to discover how science, data, and technology have improved the sport of hockey over the years. And that's the book. I just got started. I'll tell you more about it next time. And Kevin will be on soon to discuss it as well. More emails are out for other books. We'll see what pops up during the week between now and the next show. But again, it's the science of hockey, the math, technology, and the data behind the sport by Kevin Snow. All right, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do one of my favorite things. We're going to talk Italian soccer with Gabriella Marcotti. Our next guest today is making his debut on the podcast. He is a columnist and analyst for ESPN FC, a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, and a graduate of the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. He's coming all the way from London, England. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Gabriela Marcotti. Hey, Gabe, what's going on today? Welcome to the sportscasters. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's... um. It's cold in London, but I'm sure it's colder in Buffalo. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. This Christmas, we had a blizzard. Like, you might have even seen it on the news. Like, it was a legit blizzard. Like, one of the five worst snowstorms of my life. And Christmas was ruined. It was We called the, the blizzard, like, the Grinch. So, it just came and ruined Christmas. But um, I just remember the whole weekend just saying, like, why do we, li- why do we live here? Why do we live here? I don't know. Yeah, I so I, I saw that. Um, yeah, it was brutal. And, and what I don't, and I was just struck by the fact that, like, you know, Buffalo, uh, like Minneapolis, like y'all are equipped for snow. Oh yeah. So for stuff to be so bad, yeah, nobody's it's equipped be for that. Really, really bad. It was. Yep. It was like it was like a, like a category five hurricane or something. If it goes that high, you know what I mean? It was. It, I mean, I've been here for 40 years, and it's the worst I've lived through. You know what I mean? When yeah, Once it started what? on Thursday, I couldn't see out of my front window until Sunday. Like, I just couldn't even see. I just couldn't even see what was out there. I had no idea. We just stayed in the house and prayed the power didn't go out, and it didn't for us, thank God. But, I mean, you couldn't. Once it started, it was over. Like, it, there was no, there was no buildup, nothing. It started snowing at like nine in the morning, and that was it till Sunday, and we couldn't see Although, out the window. 
I, I saw one of the more moving stories, um, which must have been on local, local television, like about how those well, like people band together about it was like this woman who took the old man in her window. Yeah, she yeah. The old, the, the old yeah. man has, was like, I, I think he, 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 know, he was older. He was, yep. he was yeah, and he was like somehow mentally disturbed. Yep. You know who he was and like keeping him in the house for what, like four or five days without knowing who this dude was. Like, I, that's pretty remarkable. And there, and there was a little bit of looting, but there was a lot of that. You know what I mean? I was proud yep. of us as a city for the most part because there was a lot more of that than the little bit of looting there was because um, people do take advantage, unfortunately. You know, and think that it's a great time to go to Best Buy and just take the TVs because, you know, nobody can stop them. But for the most part, it was more stories like you've seen. And like one guy broke into a school uh, just so that he could bring people who were stuck in their cars into the school and then like left money for the food that they ate in the school. I don't know. There's a lot of heroes. So it was. uh, But it did make you reevaluate why we live here. And the reason I live here is because. Uh, my Italian, my Italian grandmother uh, decided she didn't like New York City and left her sisters and came to Buffalo instead of Staten Island. So that's why I live here. But um, but sorry, but just just to be clear on this, yeah. what well, your family in Italy, your grandmother, where were they from? Abruzzo, right? And they're up in the mountains near L'Aquila, right? Yep. So that is the coldest place in Italy. So people may think like, oh, look, they're from Italy. Like, oh, ha, 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 oh, look, they're in Sicily, nice sea breeze. No, no, no. They're from like, you know, the buffalo of, of Italy. Yeah, it's see, she felt comfortable here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's colder there than in the Alps. Like they have like some weird microclimate and it's, yeah. So I'm not surprised she went, you know, yeah. to, to, to Buffalo, you know. Yeah, I, I never really got the, the reason why she didn't like Staten Island, but. I think it was just too many people for her, which I mean, I guess makes sense. I can't imagine where they came. I mean, I'd never been there, but I can't imagine it's Rome or anything. You know, I mean, it's Staten like, Island. No, uh, well, where where they came from in, in oh. Abruzzo? There, I don't think it's a really populated yeah. area, right? Where they're we're from in Italy. I should know no, more no, about no, it. Yeah, not. yes, it's not. and I mean, Staten Island, I believe that's also where um, the city of New York. It's yeah, it's one of the boroughs. Yeah, it's one of the boroughs in New York City. Yep. No, I know, but it's also where the I think it's called Fresh Kills, the um, municipal dump for the entire yep. city of New York. Yeah, oh yeah. And <laughs> no, if if you drive like if you go over the Verrazano Bridge and you drive through Staten Island to to New Jersey, you actually like like there's that I think there's one or two bridges that link you to New Jersey, but like the last ones, if your windows are down, you can actually smell. Oh yeah. The yeah, so that may explain why she went to Buffalo. And, yeah. <laughs> Just stunk too bad. So exactly. And I want to give you like a little bit of like background at where I'm coming from as a as a soccer fan. So, 1986 is the first World Cup I watched. I don't remember if the USA was in it or not, but if they were, I knew they weren't good. So my choices were, they were them. not okay. So my choices were them or Italy, and Italy was presented to me as good. So I said, okay, I'm Italian. I'm sitting here at. My grandma's house and her sister, you know, pretending to like these cookies and listen to them, you know, jibber jab for two hours in Italian. No, no one word. I'm going to I'm going to take I'm going to I'm going to take that as a, a, a reason to be able to love this team. And so that was my team. I only really didn't see a lot of soccer then. It was the the biggest tournament, really only probably till I think the 98 euro was the first one I seen. So until then, it was really only the, the World Cup. And in 94, I was watching the final. 
at my house. My great-grandmother was sitting behind me. She was old by then. She was 90 or 84 or 5 then. And she was sitting behind me, but I didn't think she was watching the game. I think I told her, you know, Italy's on. You know, Italy's going to win or whatever. But I knew she was sitting behind me. I wasn't really paying attention. And Baggio misses the kick. And I turn around, and she's crying. Like, just crying. I'm like, Grandma, what's wrong? I think something else is wrong, you know. Right. And she says, oh, I'm so sad for Italy. I am so sad. They love us so much. And then she was telling me about when they won in the 30s. And it was just this unbelievable moment because I had no idea she knew anything about any sports. Like, the, my whole right. life, I had never heard. You know, I, I was a hockey player, and she would come to a game and be so confused and have no idea. I didn't know she knew anything about this. And she's telling me about them winning the World Cup and the parties in the streets and and she was so upset. And then when we won in 2006, she had passed away. And I went to her grave and just brought some flowers and said, we got it back. You know, they're partying in the streets of Italy again. So that's kind of where, yeah. I, where I come from. And I was a big fan of the national team. And when, we, and, and when the pandemic happened, I sort of became a disenfranchised sports fan in a lot of ways. Sports shut down. I found something else to do. I was cynical about it. I didn't want to go back. They came back to these empty arenas. It stunk. The Euros was like the the event that kind of really brought me back, and I just loved the team so much and the players that for the first time I decided I want to follow these guys to their clubs. I want to finally know more about club soccer, um, and I didn't realize how daunting that was. You know what I mean? I didn't realize it would take me to, you know, ten different countries or whatever, and all the different teams, and and so it's been a couple years, and I've learned a lot. And I'm learning, but I need you to help me with more because there's still many questions. And let's just start with Juventus because that's my biggest question because I just don't understand, first of all, what happened. Because <laughs> this doesn't, what happened doesn't happen in U.S. sports. I, I've never heard of a capital gain scandal uh, for a U.S. sports team. Maybe I missed it. But um, give me the Reader's Digest version. What the hell happened? For in the middle of the damn season, for them to rip 15 points away from a team and basically tell them you're not playing European football next year. Like, what the hell did they do for such a severe right. punishment? Go ahead. Okay. So, this is a podcast, so if you get really, really bored. No, I'm not bored. I'm very out. interested. No, no, not you. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking to me about your listeners. Oh, right? yeah. Like, forget them. This yeah. is for me. Like, accounting <laughs> doesn't always, you know, get people jazzed fair. up. That's fair. All right. So basically, um, all right. A couple of things. So first thing to say is Juventus have probably at least two appeals left. So it's not as if this is right. It's not know, over. Yeah, it's not hewn in stone. It's not over, right? So essentially, this is what they're accused for of um, in the U.S. Like in the NFL, the accounts are all. The club accounts are all private. They're all privately held companies, right? Mm -hmm. You have no real idea if the Buffalo Bills make money or not, right? You have an inkling, but you really don't know. You don't know how much or or whatever else because it's all like a closely held um, secret. And that's because ultimately I think, you know, the 32 NFL owners, um, or I guess 31 plus whoever runs the Packers, are basically like, they're business partners, right? They resolve things in-house among themselves. In soccer, there's a slightly more competitive adversarial um, attitude in general, right? Um, so there's, there's, there's no salary cap. 
there's no draft, as you know, you know, the one thing, and there's some owners who put in a lot of money, other owners run their clubs at break even. There's a big imbalance of, of resources. So one of the rules that that they have is um, you have to meet certain accounting requirements uh, every year. And the reason you do that, and the reason they have those rules in place is that, you know, they don't want you to run clubs into the ground effectively sure. because if your club goes bankrupt, then, um, you know, you may have payables to other clubs or to, to players. and That would be really bad, right? Yep. Uh, I know Juventus were not going to go bankrupt. Let's make this very clear. But um, one, of, one of the ways that they, that they calculate, um, and again, it, it's hard to wrap your head around if you're only used to American sports because obviously in American sports, you know, the only cost a club has in terms of their, their playing staff is, is salaries, right? Now, in, in soccer, every player has um, a book value and is listed as an asset on the club's balance sheet. So For transfers um, and things like that, you're saying? Yes, right. for transfers, yeah. Right. So you have what they call the cost of acquisition um, of the players. And um, at the end of the year, when your your fiscal year closes, um, or your financial year, I should say, uh, closes, you know, you look at your operating profit, you know, which is all pretty easy to understand, right? Revenues, tickets sure. sold, TV income, whatever, minus your costs, and then you see if you've made a profit or a loss. And then you add on top of that your results from what they call player trading, um, which is, you know, I sold a player for $100 million and I acquired a player for $10 million. And you would think, oh, look, I've made $90 million. Except it doesn't quite work like that. Um, because from an accounting point of view, when you sell a player, and I hate to use the word assets because I don't want to dehumanize them, but sure. that's essentially, in accounting terms, that's what they are, right? They're, they're not yeah. people. They're, they're assets, right? Yep. So if I, if I sell like a piece of machinery, let's say, for, this is probably the best analogy, if I sell a piece of machinery that makes widgets for for fifty bucks, I get those fifty bucks straight away, and I write down fifty um, as revenue, right? Yep. But if I buy my widget making machine for fifty bucks, and I reckon that it's going to last me five years, right? I'm only going to take a hit in terms of costs for ten dollars. And then I'll take $10 next year and $10 a year right, after spread that. It out. Yep. I spread it out over the five years, right? Sure. Um, that's, that's called amortization when you do that. So when you do that with a player, um, essentially, you when you, could, when you sell a player, you take the revenue immediately. When you acquire the player, you spread the cost over the life of the player's contract. And if the player then extends the contract, you, know, you spread whatever residual value is there, you spread it for, further. All right, that's the background to it. So what Juventus are accused of doing is they um, are accused of essentially doing mirror transactions with other teams, right? So they'll say, okay, we've got Bob and you've got Bill. I'll buy Bill from you for $20 million, and you buy Bob from me for $20 million. And then we'll both, uh, both give them 
let's say five-year deals. Right. And so, I'm going to say plus so million. I, I got I Okay, go ahead. Finish yeah, it up. You make but 60 I see million, it. Yep, right? Yep. So that's all fine and good if Bob and Bill are both worth 20 million, right? But because the worth, the value of a player is subjective and down to whatever the market charges, if you or I pretend that Bob and Bill are worth 100 million each, then presto, we've, instead of making 16 million in our original um, scenario, then we've made 80 million, right? Um, so we made five times as much. And we've done that out of thin air, essentially. Right. We have cooked the books. Um, and that's what, that's what Juventus were, were found guilty of doing. Okay. Um, and again, I don't want to go too much in the weeds, but the interesting, the interesting thing about this is there's two trials. There's two kind of parallel forms of justice going on here. Um, there's sporting justice where essentially the, the football association or the, the federation, they have their own court and they say, all right, did you do something wrong? And when Juventus were first charged with this, they along cleared, with eight right? other clubs, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They were cleared because they said, well, we don't have evidence. We can't just do this because these numbers seem inflated to us. We don't have any evidence that this is intentional cheating. However, at the same time, because Juventus are are listed on the stock exchange and because false accounting is a is a crime, um, they're being criminally investigated. Um, and the criminal investigators, you know, those guys are those guys are real cops, right? Uh, they can they wiretap, they raid offices, they seize documents. And then they leaked a bunch of documents and passed a bunch of documents to the Federation. And those documents appear to show that um, Juventus said, hey, let's knowingly and artificially inflate these these prices so that we can cook the books and make our numbers seem better than they are. Okay. And so based on that, so technically they haven't been found guilty of inflating um, and these mirror transfers and inflating transfer values because – Technically, that's not a punishable crime, so, but they have been found guilty of um, of an ethics violation, of doing something, of doing something unethical. Does that analogy make sense? Did you just see where I'm going? Yeah, I follow you. Let me ask you a few quick follow ups. Okay, so I, I think back to the wooden spoon. I think you kind of just answered this in one of the last sentences there. Sometimes I got the wooden spoon. Me and my brothers that conspired, we knew we did something wrong. Like we broke the lamp, and then we got together. Like, oh shit, we broke the lamp. Let's hide it. Let's maybe they won't notice kind of a thing. We got the spoon. We knew we knew we had screwed up. Another time we might get the spoon. We didn't know what the heck we did. Then we found out later. Oh, that's what we did. That was wrong. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Did like were the guys at Juventus in the room conspiring to do this? Like were they was this a nefarious plan or were or or, or after the fact when the Federation and the other cops came down where they're like, oh, man we screwed up here what which one is i think so, you kind of answered it's a right yeah so yeah so based on the wiretaps um and the evidence it, it certainly sounds like they know that they're they yeah they know that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing um and and it's especially serious because you know Juventus are listed on the stock exchange right they're public so Juventus right. is yeah Juventus's main shareholder with nearly two-thirds of the shares is 
this company called Exor, which is like a holding company, which is controlled by the Agnelli family who've owned the club for more than 100 years. But the other 37%, um, you know, are different shareholders. And they're kind of getting defrauded here. Okay. Um, so, you know, they have an obligation. That's why there's a criminal investigation going on, which which could bring more punishment to it. Uh, the other the other aspect to Juventus's defense, um, and if I don't bring this up, Juve fans are going to flip out if they listen to this, is, well, everybody does this. Why are we the ones being punished? Why are we being singled out, right? Right, I heard that. I heard that defense. What about the other eight clubs that were initially investigated or whatever? Yeah, so I can answer about the other eight clubs, which pretty simple is... They're not public? The other eight clubs, like Juve... Well, no, no, it's not that. It's, oh, okay. They weren't criminally investigated, right? Okay. Nobody came in and found... They were simply investigated on the basis of these valuations look totally wrong and screwed up. Are you artificially inflating them? And Juve say no, and the other clubs say no, and they can't prove it, and so they let them all. The difference was in the second trial, they have all this evidence, which the cops and the criminal prosecutors found when they raided Juve's offices and wiretapped phones, right? And they don't have that evidence towards the other eight clubs. Um, so that's why they were, they were not found guilty. Got it. So here's, here's the, an, another thing I don't understand. So even before I knew anything about Serie A or club soccer, I knew Juventus, right? They're the Cowboys, I feel like, of this league or the Yankees or whatever, and maybe there's, you know, Milan fans or Inter fans or whoever would argue against it. Whatever. They're one of the biggest clubs in Italy. Why are they doing this? I, I just, I, I guess I don't understand who was mad about this. Maybe it's the 37%. Those are the people that were mad. It just seems, and I guess the fans who are canceling their accounts, I think I've heard huge numbers in terms of revenue that's lost to, the zone and to other overseas um, places that air the games, Juventus fans have canceled their accounts or at protest. Um, but it just seems weird to me that you want to basically stomp Juventus into the ground like this. Like, are these investigators just like really big Milan fans? Or like, why is this happening? Like, I'm confused by that because I just could never see this happening to the Yankees or to the Cowboys or something. I just couldn't see that. I don't know. It's strange. I don't know. I mean, weren't the Patriots pretty popular when they were like Spygate? They lost a draft pick, right? They were punished. They were punished. Ton of money. Yeah, they were punished, right? But they didn't take them out of the Super Bowl. I mean, they're taking Juventus out of the Super Bowl here. You can't be in Champions League. You can't even be in the the one that the Lazio guy made fun of that he's in now, Mm -hmm. right? You're out. You're in eleventh. You. Don't get cold so, or you might be in relegation. Like, it just seems really, yeah, I, really strict, really harsh. So I think, I mean, I first of all, I, I think the point penalty itself was harsh. Um, and and remember, you've faced other investigations as well, which... You know, I remember in 06. I remember like, that. Yep. No, 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 no. They face oh, other current investigations current that are open. Right. And yeah, I know Milan as well, right? Is one that's also mm-hmm. being investigated. Milan are not being investigated not, right now. Okay. Uh, new. Okay. Um, Napoli are being Napoli. investigated. Okay. Yeah. Over something similar, but unrelated. Um, so I think, and this is why those people who say, oh, but this is so bad for the league, right? I think it's good for the league. You do. 
Um, okay. I think, look, anybody who's been to Italy, um, and you know, your background's Italian, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. With this image of this country where, ha ha, you can do what you want, nobody follows the rules, everybody's, you know, In the mob. everybody's either corrupt or corruptible, but yeah. you know, I think the usual stereotypes, right? Yep. And look, I'm not saying that in terms of rigor, you know, we're Norway, but I also think it's kind of a pretty cartoonish, prejudiced uh, system. Um, and I think it's important the rules be followed. And I think there's a big economic imperative for rules to be followed as well, right? We've seen in the last six years, um, we've seen U.S. investors buying um, Serie A clubs, right? So sure. we saw it at uh, Milan, Atalanta, Roma, uh, Fiorentina, uh, Parma. These guys aren't going to go and buy into something if they're just going to get ripped off or okay. other people are going to inspire yep. against people are going to follow the rules, right? These guys come from an ESOS. These, these guys, most of them are private equity guys or funds. Like, I'm going to make a serious investment here. Like, I, I, there need to be rules. I need to you know, know what I stand to lose. I need to know if somebody rips me off, I can, you know, I can go back and get even. So I think there's this idea that like the sense of impunity, you know, that this has to, this has to pretty much end. Right. And, you know, I, I look at these I, and inflating, in, inflating, they're doing these mere transactions with inflated values is not just wrong, but it's bad. It's also bad because all you're doing is spreading the cost down the road and creating a big house of cards. And it's true that it's not just Juve who did it. Um, other clubs have done it too. Uh, done it before, other clubs other clubs still do it. But it's important, I think, first of all, in terms of extent, nobody's done it to the degree, or a few clubs have done it recently anyway, to the degree that Juve did it. Um, and I also think you just don't have the actual material evidence to make the case, assuming the case stands, of course, that you have with Uvid because you have all these wiretaps um, and seized documents. So I think it's good. I think it shows that it's, you know, you can't do certain things. I also think from Uvid's perspective, and this is the part that some people don't like to talk about, um, you know, Juve, as I mentioned, are are owned by this group called Exor, which is the holding company of the Nelly family. Um, in 2018, Juve decided to spend an enormous amount of money in in, in transfer fees and wages to get Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldo yeah. with the thinking that, oh, this will enable us to make this great leap forward. There, there are four clubs that, in terms of revenue, and I'm going to lean... Okay, I'm going to go on a limb here. I don't want to piss anybody off, but I'm going to talk about in terms of revenues that's, that are kind of verifiable, right? So I'm going to treat Man City and Paris Saint-Germain. I'm going to take them out of the mix a little bit because they do a lot of business with related parties, parties that are you know controlled or related to their owners. So right. they, there's four clubs that historically kind of you know always make money, right? Because they've got a big fan base, because a huge commercial operation, whatever, right? And those four clubs are Barcelona, Real Madrid, yeah. um, Manchester United, and Bayern Munich, right? Sure. I mean, they're just a notch above everybody else. Everyone knows and those clubs. If you know anything about sports, you know those clubs, yep. 
Exactly. Yep. Like, like other clubs will reach them one season when they get a lot of prize money or whatever. Other clubs are growing. I'm not having a go at other clubs saying they're bigger than you. But these guys are, you know, it's kind of like money in the bank, right? Transcend the sport um, in a way. Yep. Yeah, look, United have sucked for 10 years, right, give or take. And they're still up there in terms of revenue, right? I mean, right. Uh, it, it's pretty extraordinary. They are the Yankees. So, like, that's what everyone says, right? You, you, Manchester United is the Yankees of American sports. Like, they're the, the team. So, yeah. Yeah. Even though I, Manchester City has been better for, like you said, a decade or whatever now. doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but so Juventus, and then he said, how can I get to that level? I need to do a great leap forward, right? We've won the league, whatever it was, five times in a row or whatever it was at the time. With Cristiano Ronaldo, who's one of the two greatest players in the world, you know, commercially, we're going to go to another level. We'll get even better. We'll win the Champions League, which is going to attract new fans and we're going to grow. We're going to reach that, that sort of critical mass and we're going to be where Barcelona and Real Madrid are and we're going to get all this massive revenue, right? Not everybody agreed with him. Um, the, the the club's co-CEO, Beppe Marotta, famously resigned and left. Um, officially, wasn't for the Ronaldo deal, but I think now we know that probably was. Um, and what you had, and it's not Cristiano's fault, but basically this great leap forward never came. Um, and Juventus racked up enormous losses. Right. Didn't work uh, out. Again, not, yeah. It didn't work out, right? Yep. And to the point that Juventus's shareholders have had to do, they've had to inject 700 million euros worth of, of equity. That's three quarters of a billion dollars, you know, just to kind of keep the club capitalized. And by the way, this is before we get into the issue of cooking the books or not. You could imagine how much it would have been if books hadn't been cooked. Sure. Um, it's a mess. The, so I actually think there's a number of Yuva fans who, not, especially the Yuva shareholders, who are kind of like, this is good. Andrea Agnelli, the president who, you know, who resigned, the former president, who was a big proponent of, of this and was a big proponent of the Super League and, and other things, He's gone now. I think there's a number of Juve fans um, and Juve shareholders, certainly two of Juve's biggest ultras groups. These are ultras are the hardcore yep. supporters or the mm -hmm. ones you see behind the goal with the flags and everything. I mean, they've been hugely critical of Andrea Agnelli. They're really happy he's gone. And they look at this and they say, you know what? We created this mess. Why can't we just be normal? Well, we, we took this completely unnecessary gamble. We doubled down on it. We, we've attracted all this negative publicity with the, 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 the Super League and the, you know, the fake um, Italian exam when they were pretending they were going to sign Luis Suarez, all this other stuff. And now this, let's move on. Let's try to run ourselves the way other successful clubs in Europe run themselves. Um, and it's not just about money. It's about developing, uh, developing kids. I mean, they came out, they said it. Like, and I want to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Keep, keep that on your brain, they, developing kids. Yeah. yeah. They, they have a farm team and so on. And by the way, this, this whole idea, we were touching before about the scandal, the, with, the, with the Plus Valencia scandal. Essentially, right, it, it, this accounting thing, and this is just on paper, it creates this perverse incentive where if you have a youth team product, because his residual amortized value uh, is zero on your books, um, and you sell them, then you've made pure profit. Whereas if you've had to spend money on somebody and then you sell them, 
then you have to sell him for a certain amount. Otherwise, you make a paper loss on him, right? Um, so it, it creates all these weirdo accounting-based rather than sporting-based incentives, um, which aren't good. And sure. I think Italian football as a whole, you know, like people will know, right? In, in the 90s, Serie A was by far the best league in the world with all the biggest stars. Now it's well behind the Premier League whose revenue is four times as high as Italy's. Um, it's not going to get back there by just bringing in rich people who are just going to, 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 to throw money down the toilet. It's going to get back there by having rules, by having those rules enforced, by creating a business climate where, where people want to invest, by innovating. And I think first and foremost, you have to have a sense of legality. And I think, like I said, I, I think Juve, there's a lot of Juve shareholders are saying like, yeah, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to, you know, the days when we cut corners a little or whatever, and then we tried to, you know, that's gone. It's a new day. Those people are gone. Yep. It's a new dawn. And yep. I think that's, that's how they're going to sell this. All right. One last thing on this, and then I want to move on because there's a couple things I want to get to, and I'm probably running out of time. Uh, Juventus, that you said two appeals. I know one appeal that's first. It's not one that can say, oh, we're going to switch a penalty of six points. It's either they're going to reverse it totally or they're going to keep it. I, I'd be surprised if they reverse it totally. You said there's a second one. Just, I guess, quickly, do you think there's any chance this changes or do you think this is going to be what it is in the end? Um, I think there's a chance it changes. Okay. Um, so the first one, which is with the Italian Olympic Committee, they're basically the only way they get this overturned is if it, you know, if, if they say is based if, if the rules, like on procedural grounds, if the rules weren't correctly applied. I think that covers something like, you know, can Article Four about unethical behavior does that apply here? Uh, if they find that it does not apply, then it will get overturned. If they say, yeah, it does apply, then they can't change the penalty. Um, the next appeal for that after that is to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is in Lausanne. Um, that's an international tribunal, and it's basically it's called tribunal, but it's really arbitration, right? So you've got two parties. They have a list of fancy sports lawyers. Uh, each side picks one lawyer. The court picks another lawyer. And you have these three lawyers become kind of judges. And they listen to the case and they sit in judgment. And then they um, and then they make a ruling one way or another based on jurisprudence and based on the arguments. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Gabriela Marcotti is here talking soccer with us. You can find him at ESPN.com slash soccer ESPNFC. His show is exclusively on ESPN Plus, and Gab and Jules show is available on YouTube's ESPN FC channel or wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts or the ESPN Pod Center. Okay, a couple other things I want to ask you. Let me ask you real quick about because you mentioned the overall health of the league and the league itself, and I was interested in this um, what's been happening with Roma and um, and uh, their striker there, and it's interesting because he wanted. Initially, the rumors were for one of the bigger English clubs. I forget which one. Didn't work out. Then it was, oh, he's going to go to AC Milan. And then they got outbid by a team that I'd never heard of. And I had to look to even see if they were in the Premier League or if they were in the championship. And they were in the Premier League, but they were like the last place team. And then I started reading more and people were like so embarrassed. Like, how has the league gotten to this point where... One of our biggest clubs, AC Milan, is getting outbid by a team that's in the championship. And other people talking about 
the player himself, Zaniolo, and saying like, oh, I thought he was going to be the key to this generation, and now he might be in the championship next year. And, you know, and then I hear all I hear all these different opinions, right? Like, so many people are like, I saw, I think maybe IFTV put out a tweet, like, where do you think it ranks, Serie A ranks in the, in, the, in the five leagues or whatever? And one, two, three, four, and five were all on there like a million times. Right, like it's like there's no consensus. Yeah. I have no idea. I see a team like Napoli, who's maybe the best team in Europe. They're playing so beautifully. They're competing in Champions League, you know. And 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 of the leagues I watch, I love. To, maybe I'm, I'm I know I'm biased, but I do love to watch Serie A the most. It's to me the most beautifully played, and I know it's it's biased. But what the heck is the truth here with the overall health of the league? I know that this thing getting outbid by the. English Premier League team that I, I'm not even being like funnily I had never heard of them um okay. you know what I mean like where, you know what I'm saying where do we so, stand here what's the truth because I know you'll give it to me all right so well it's funny you're a hockey guy right I am I grew up a hockey guy yeah so that team is actually owned or minority owned by this guy who owns the Vegas Golden Knights okay I, I know them took very over well. a yeah. couple months ago yep um so that team is called Bournemouth. Bournemouth, uh, that's they right. are a Thank you. Tiny team um, on the south coast, about an hour south of London. Um, I think, as I, as I understand it, the the story. Look, oh look, Milan outbid, blah blah blah. I don't think it's quite like that. I think Bournemouth's offer was um, to take him on loan until the end of the season, and then if Bournemouth stay up. Um, they buy him outright. Um, I, I wouldn't read too much into it in the sense that, you know, Milan, because remember, this isn't like, like unlike U.S. sports with younger players, you can, the players, the players can turn down moves, right? Ultimately, right. you have yeah. to reach an agreement with the club and with the player. Right, it's very interesting. So far, yep. yeah, so if I'm Milan, and I'm not suggesting they've done this because some might view it as tampering, but, is what I would do if I was Milan. Um, I would speak to Zagnolo and say, "Hey, Zagnolo, do you want to go to Bournemouth? Or do you want to come here?" Right. And like, "Oh, I'd rather go to Milan." Funny yeah. enough, yeah. Um, play some Champions League football. And so they're like, "Okay, so just keep turning down Bournemouth, and we're not going to budge from our offer. And at some point, Roma are going to, you know, Roma are going to have a decision to make: they either meet our price or." Or they put you back in the lineup, or or whatever, right? I mean, it seems like the obvious play here, right? Sure, makes sense um, to me. Because he ain't going there, right? I mean, he's, he's not going there. Come on. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, they put doesn't seem like it table. at this point. It doesn't seem like it at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he does go there, but but it is one of those like headline things. Oh, look, they're outbid. Like, yeah, right, fine, they're outbid. But, okay, you know. Also, like me and if you know anything about them, um, and they're owned by um. They're owned by Redbird, who I believe also have a stake in Fenway Sports Group, who own Boston Red Sox and Liverpool as well. Um, you know, they're not stupid. They want to get him at the best possible price, right? Um, more broadly, on Zaniolo, about how you said, you know, you thought we were going to be a generational player. So did I. I, I I'm trying to make an analogy again. Like I always like to make U.S. sports analogies, although because um, I don't live in the U.S. anymore, so I get a little bit not as connected as I was. Just too many injuries, is, right? Yeah, just too many injuries. Well, I think the thing with him, it's not just the injuries. It's the fact that imagine the guy 
was like the freak skill set coming out of college, right? Or breaking in, right? Yeah. And you don't quite know. And he's just so athletic and he's so good. And I don't know if you're an NFL guy, but yeah. like huge. The Cowboys had this guy named Parsons. Yep. Yeah. Michael Parsons. Who, yeah. I'm, I'm a big Eagles fan, right? We yeah. play against them. The guy scares the shit out of me every yep. time. Yep. And I don't know, like, is he a defensive end? Is he a linebacker? What and he lines do? up all blah, over blah, the blah. field, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. and that was the thing with Zagnolo. The difference is that Parsons is productive. Right. With Zagnolo, you see glimpses of it, right? And you're still like, and he still makes bad decisions, as young players sometimes do. On top of that, he had a very serious ACL injury. And then another and one. And he's right? come back. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think. With Zagnolo, what's going to happen is this is the classic case where the guy either you know fizzles out or he, or he becomes a real superstar. Well, I'm praying for um, that. I don't see any, you know, I don't see too much of a middle ground there with that guy. All right. Well, okay. Quickly, then, where do you think? So, if Premier League is the best, fine. I hate the Premier League, but whatever. They're the best. Good for them. Where where where, where do we stand next? Where are we next? That question. If you were to answer that, is it the second best league, the third best league? Fourth best league is Portugal somehow passed it. Where do you think it stands? Portugal's not passed it. Uh, All right. So it depends what your metric is. If your metric is how good are the individual teams, what is the the average talent level um, in the league? If that is your metric and you're going 1 to 20, so in other words, you're not just looking at, like, you know, Barcelona, Champions League results. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... I think the Premier League is number one. I would, and like, I'm not saying my opinion's more valid than somebody else's, but I do get paid to generally watch. Yeah, it's more valid than mine. So go all for the time. It. We've got yeah. three TVs, so yeah. In my opinion, um, number two is La Liga. Okay. Uh, in Spain, um, number three, I think, is touch and go between um, the Bundesliga and and Serie A. Okay. But it's funny, though, right? Not to digress on the Bundesliga, but the Bundesliga, from a fan experience perspective, is tremendous. It's probably, yeah, again, comes down to what you like, but if you want cheap prices, nice stadiums, you know, a lot of action, I don't think the Bundesliga can be beat. Certainly much better than the Premier League from that perspective, right? Um, and I'm better than Serie A. Uh, but equally, the same team wins every year, and they have all these spending restrictions, so that you know it's difficult for them to hang on to their best players. Um, if you're a team other than Bayern Munich, your best players often go abroad, or they go to Bayern Munich every year, right? So, is that dysfunctional? Is that good? Is it bad? Should fans care about it? Um, I don't know. I mean, but for, for me, like I said, I think they're neck to neck, and. Like I'd be happy if Serie A gives itself a bunch of tough rules, um, like Germany has, and we become a normal league that you know is breaks even or is slightly profitable year on year. I don't need to have teams that go and win. I, I absolutely hate fans who are like, "Oh, it's all about winning," right? It's not. I mean, if you're a fan, you tune in to watch your team. And if you look at the attendances in the Bundesliga, where you've got these these crappy teams that are like 12th on the table, and they sell out every week, and they get 45, 50, 60,000 fans, I mean, to me, that's what it's about, right? Sure. Um, 
the bills were really, really bad when you were really, really young, right? Then they got really, really good. And then they really, really bad again, right? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it's, it, it is what you like. And yet, I think we live in this age because of globalization and so on. I see a lot of fans on social media who like, oh, I want to be bought by like, you know, a wealthy sheikh who and, hey, who, and a sovereign wealth fund so that we can go and outspend everybody because it's all about winning and shit. I don't think that necessarily jives with like the rank and file fan. I mean, I think it's about, you know, you have a team, you fall in love with it. And yeah, it might be one of the bigger teams because those are the teams that are on TV. And when you're a kid, you see them winning and whatever, but there has to be that spark there. It can't just be, it can't just be about winning. And I think the Bundesliga to me is evidence that, you know, you don't need to compete for the league title every year to have a successful and profitable team and and happy fans you know i i don't see a popular revolution in germany with people bitching and crying and complaining because bayern munich win the league every year right i'll have to watch it more because that's one i i haven't watched a ton because there's not a lot of italians there that i've been following um i've been following a little bit more recently because i watched grifo play in the the two friendlies and i want to watch like learn a little bit more about him um so i've watched him a little bit but um i'll have to watch that league more all right well, I, don't, I don't. I don't want to lose you as a Serie A fan to the Bundesliga. No, you won't. Betrayal, Trust me, you right? won't. All right. Remember and, who you are. Yeah. Okay. And remember this. Remember this. I don't have a club. I'm in it for the players, specifically the Ita- right, yeah, specifically true. the Italian ones. Right. Like in the battle of club versus country, it's country for me by a mile. Like if there's a team I don't like, it's AC Milan, and the reason is because they booed Donnarumma right after the Euros. Right. Like to me, that's just, it's just unforgivable. Like if you want to. Boo them like in a month or two. Maybe I can accept that. And I know that they were mad or whatever. They went to PSG. But he was, if not the reason, the top three reasons we won the freaking Euros. He's an Italian hero and he did not deserve to be booed like that. So it's going to take me a long time to forgive that. But the, the point is, is I'm in it for the players and, and, and how they're going to ultimately advance Italy and end this right. horrendous embarrassment of the World Cup misses and... You know, everything that's went wrong since 2006, except the last Euros, right? So I'll get you out of here on this. This is the last thing, because I know I got to let you go. We went way too long, and I apologize, and I appreciate your patience and all the knowledge you're dropping here, and hopefully you'll come back and do it again soon. But I have to ask you about the national team a little bit in the sense of here's what I'm struggling with as as I learn more and I get more interested and want to know more is I don't know how to know who's real when we're talking about the 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old players, right? If if a guy scores one goal, I'm Googling for like four hours, next thing you know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just I'm just like, oh, my God. You know, when Volpato scored his goal for Roma, um, like, I think it was like a little bit before Christmas or whatever. Like, I, it just, what? Who's this guy? Th- this, he's got to be the next Macy. You know what I mean? Like, I get out of control. Like, right. you know, the, the camp that they had, where they had the two different groups um, and they had just all these players and some were from Serie B and some from Serie A and they're all, you know, these young players and the kid who just left Chelsea, you know. So help me out. Like, give me the five, four, five, three, whatever. Who are the guys that if in 2026, and me and my daughter are going to an Italy game in 2026 in the United States somewhere, like, as long as all their games aren't in Mexico, because I'm not going to Mexico. As long as all their games aren't there, I'm going to a game, no matter what it costs, whatever. Like, we're going to do that. If I'm still alive, I'm going. 
and I'm planning on it. So who are the most important guys to to help the Chiesas and the Barella and Ferrati and Donnarumma, the guys that from this group, this core, moving forward? How do we blend them? Who are the most – I've over-asked at this point, but go ahead. Who are the guys? Okay, so you're talking about like the younger players. Yeah, like um, I know, like I know about you know, I know about anyone on the bigger clubs that you know, like, I, like, but there's right. this, this, this other group, it's this other group because the the big the big criticism right of Syria is that we're not that we could have a Bellingham, but we're not putting him in the our 18 year olds into the so, situation early enough, right? So I'm a little confused. Like, who are the guys? Okay, so that criticism of Syria yeah. is undoubtedly 100 million percent true for a very, very long time. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Again, yeah. in the last two years, I think it's changed. Good. I think if you – I ran the numbers on this. I think it was last – I think last season there were like 10 or 8 Italian players who under the age of 21 who played like more than half the minutes in Syria, And in previous years – you know, for, for a bunch of years, it was one. This guy, Rolando Mandragora, who's okay, but not that good, right? Um, that's changed. So they are giving more space to young players, not as much as they should. But if you look at teams like like Empoli, for example, um, they have a bunch of kids in there. If you look at Juventus, um, partly because of injuries or whatever, but We've seen Nicola Fagioli yep. and um, Miretti start. Mm-hmm. And guess what? These guys played well. Yeah. And people are saying, oh, look, why do I need to go and spend, you know, $35 million on, I don't know, Paredes, or not that he costs $35 million, but when I've got Miretti right here, does the same job and does it for free, right? Um, and I think Mancini's, one of the great things Mancini's done is he showed an openness to these young players. Um Willie Nyanto. Yeah, like I know Willie. Uh, you know, I know him. Like, okay. So Willie. Yeah. So Willie's at Leeds United, right? Yep. I don't know if you know his story, right? He's yeah. He's from Lake Maggiore near where I'm my summer house. Comes through the youth ranks at Inter. When he's 16, Inter have to decide whether they want to give him a contract or not. And it's like, it's like, a, it's like an apprentice pay scale contract. It's not a lot of money. But Zurich come along. And they say, hey, look, we'll give you more than that. And he looks at the pathway. He looks at the uh, opportunities young Inter products have made, have had to, to go and play. And he's like, nah, screw this. I'm going to go across the border to Switzerland. And he goes to Zurich, um, plays well, becomes like, you know, a first teamer at 18. Mancini calls him up to the national team. Nobody knows who the hell this guy is. And all of a sudden, he's scoring boom, goals. You know, yeah, he's he has an impact. Goals. Yeah. Yeah, and he gets to move to Leeds, and you can say it's only Leeds. Okay, fine, but you're in the Premier League, yeah. and you're playing fairly regularly. And he's you're making an impact there too. Yeah, he's making an he's impact. Making an impact there. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so, so that's good. But you want to you want names to look out for? Like I, I know, I know Willie. You know, I know Raspadori. I know. Okay. You know, I know the 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 bigger guys, but it's like, okay, first of all, because today right. was the news that uh, Cesar went from Chelsea to wherever he's going. Is he the like? Is he the wonder kid? Like they say, or whatever. Like, is he the main Casa guy? Day? Yeah, you have a Casa Day? Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen enough of him. You haven't seen I, enough. I, I okay. generally don't know. Okay, a guy who's who I think is an exceptional, like a ridiculously talented goalkeeper. Um, he's currently on loan at Cremonese. Okay, uh, and like Donnarumma is going to be around for a while, but I just want to. 
just to show you that we're in good hands. Sure. Is Marco Carnesecchi. He's the he's on loan at Cremonese. He was Italy's under twenty one goalkeeper. He had a really bad injury, uh, but he's come back and he's playing this year. And I think he's definitely uh, one to watch. Uh, the other guy, also an Atalanta kid who's nineteen years old and he's been called up to the national team already, is Giorgio Scalvini. Yeah. He is nominally a defender, but he's so good on the ball. Plays head, great passer, you know, head held high, brave. Really a fun player to watch. Maybe he'll turn into a midfielder. I don't know. Um, so he's nineteen. Um, uh, another guy who, well, there's obviously Miretti and Fagioli. You already know about because right, yep. we mentioned. Um, from the from the kids, um, from like the under twenty ones, one in, one interesting guy I think is, and it kind of also shows you the different attitudes. Um, there's a center forward named Lorenzo Luca who he was at Pisa in Serie B last year, um, scored at six goals, and then in the summer he made a an interesting decision. And he, he's he's like six foot seven, I should point out. Wow. Um, He's a big boy. And he said, you know what? Rather than going to some crappy Serie A club where, you know, I might not really grow and everyday experience in Serie B and I'm not going to, you know, no big club's going to bring me in yet. Let me challenge myself. And so he went to Ajax and, you know, he he's in and out of the starting lineup at Ajax, but he's learning a new language. He's testing himself in a different league. He's in a very, you know, technical skill-based league, which is which is good if you're six foot seven because it suggests, you know, he hasn't really been relying on his size. I, I like guys who've got that that attitude, you know, um, who are willing to go and do that. Skamaka, of course, is at West Ham now, not having a great season. He well, they never play him. He was always younger. They never play him. I don't know. They yeah, frustrate. They, they frustrate now, but yeah, they frustrate. But, um, me. But yeah, no. Um, Who was the kid that and, got into the game against? I don't know if it was the Albania game or the Austria game. He was like the youngest player on the national team in forever in a day. <sighs> well, did you mention him already? Recently? Yeah, was remember it we, the guy? Oh, was it the guy? We played those. The guy, we the pl- guy Pafundi. Was it Pafundi? Okay, you could be right. We played those two friendlies in November: one against Albania, one yeah. against Austria. And I remember yeah, he's sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 16. Yeah, you know anything about him? Um, like, I mean, I think Mancini likes to do things to generate enthusiasm. He's a ge- okay, generate he some buzz there. Yeah, we might be. I, mean, not- I think Buffundi's <laughs> played one game in Serie A. Like, yeah, we might know. not be going to the World Cup, but look at this 16 year old. I'm going to put on the pitch all of a sudden out of nowhere. Yeah, right? totally. yeah. But yeah. I also I want to point something else out just for, for context here. Sure. It's obviously two straight World Cups that Italy have missed out on, or yeah. as I like to think of it, decided to give somebody else a chance. Sure, because <laughs> we've already won it four times. And, right, you know only how many Brazil stars can you times. have? Yeah, how many stars can you exactly. have? Exactly, yeah. you run out of space in the shirt. Yeah, um, but this time around, Italy were really, really good, and we're really unlucky not to qualify. Oh, I know. I mean, Jorginho, uh, my God, don't get me started yeah. on this. Come on now, what are you doing? Yes, I mean the Bulgaria game. <laughs> two games the two missed penalties in four years earlier they were terrible right 
Like they were really bad. I mean, again, rock bottom because so. there's a bunch of yeah. Muppet Show teams that go to the World Cup anyway. They probably should have still qualified. But I, I think you feel a lot better about this, about the fact that youngsters are being given a chance. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I I I think it's a it's a hold or a buy if you're if you want to think of of right. the league and Italian football as a whole. And and again, if on top of that we can, you know. I, we, it's hard, right? Because everybody thinks of the past through rose-tinted glasses and whatnot. But I think people put up with a lot of stuff in the past in Italian football, and not just Italian football, but around Europe, which you know today seems bizarre and, and unthinkable. Like in terms of people attacking referees or people putting pressure, you know, not to have certain referees in certain in in, in certain games or. In, or, or even players diving to win penalties, you know, which I'm not saying VAR is perfect and has eliminated that and there'll still be controversy. But a lot of this stuff, a lot of this kind of like Bush League kind of, you know, ooh, I value him because he's clever. A lot of that shit's gone out the window. Right. And you're not, and what's to also, be clear, you're not talking about Grosso in 2006, right? That was no dive. That Australian was being dirty there in that box, I thought. Right, that was careless. Yeah, look, I, I, listen, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the Fabio Grosso thing. Like that is a penalty every single hell yeah, of the week. hell uh, yeah. I don't, you know, but no, but you can slow it down. You can see it, right? Yeah, like, multiple camera angles, and how do you keep going on about that? Um, yeah, yeah, no. So I, I think that's you know, I think these are all positives that that I think you can you can build on. I mean, one big thing, right? And you might have come to this later, but the stereotype about. City was that results mattered more than playing well. And if anything, you know, if you could play badly and win, you were a genius. Right, and just win so one nothing. Was, exactly, yeah. right? Yep. And I think because what we're seeing around Europe is the best teams around Europe don't play that way, right? The best teams around Europe want the ball. And it's and certainly not how we won the Euro, right? It's not how we won the Euro. It's not exactly. Yeah, that yeah. was one of Mancini's big things. That yep. It's not how we won the Europe, but if you look at you know, if you look at how Barcelona play or Bayern or, or Manchester City or Liverpool, and I think clubs are realizing that, right? If you look at Napoli play attacking football, Milan play attacking football, um, Lazio play attacking football, uh, you know, Inter try sometimes um, with mixed results, but there's still a much more skill-based, skill-based team than before. Um, even Juve tried to do it with Sarri and then with Pirlo, right? But then maybe they couldn't fully commit and they had other things going on, and so they made those changes. And and what we're seeing, too, is the bad teams in City Out, right? Those guys realize that, you know what? It's not worth playing for a draw when maybe if I play to attack, you know, if if, if I – if there's three games, you know, if I if I play three games and I get one win and two defeats um, versus drawing three games, I still get three points. So I might as well go for it, right? Sure. And and there's more positivity that way. That there's they also realize that if I play attacking football, my players look better, and then you know I can sell them for more money if I need to. So all this shit comes into it, and yeah, yeah I, I think it's pretty exciting. Gabriele Mocati spending way too much time that he needs to on a Saturday with me. But you can find his work on ESPN.com slash soccer, ESPNFC, exclusively on ESPN Plus. And Gab and Jules' show is available on YouTube, ESPNFC channel, ESPN Pod Center, or Apple Podcasts. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. 
because you you just made my heart happy because I love optimism when it comes to Italy. Look at like what made the World Cup so hard this time around. I think was that I I still believe we could have won it. You know, I'm not saying we would have. I just even watching it like nobody dominated it or anything. You know, and props to Messi for winning it and all that. But you know, I just still feel and again I'm biased, but I still feel like we could have made a run at that thing one way or another. And that hurts because, you know, and I don't know about you, but when the, they put the ball down at the spot in the, the second Switzerland game, I was saying, man, Benucci's got to take this. Benucci, step up and take this. Benucci, do it because Jorginho's just lost in the right. sauce right now. And then it was like, what, like 15-0 and 0 in his last however many in Chelsea. But whatever. Um, here's what we got to go on because I've had some big sports moments. Like I watched my brother – win the national championship in college hockey at the Penguins arena, you know, and it was like a the symbol of everything that oh. had happened in my family's life for like 20 years, like culminating in this moment of him, like holding the trophy, you know, in the house that Sidney Crosby built. I'm a lifelong New Orleans Saints fan. They won a Super Bowl in 2010. But once you get past those two things and maybe not even the Super Bowl, 2006 and 2021, third to two, greatest sports moments of my life and i'm a sports guy and i dream of that again and so let's get out here on something fun give me one memory from either one of the victories like maybe where you were when we grasso won the won it or where you were when um we want uh Donna Ruma made the save or just give me something like really fun and exciting that, that you remember. Maybe tell me which team you like better. Just give me anything great about the two great accompl- accomplishments of my lifetime. Um, well, I guess I was alive in 82, but I was only two. So I don't know enough about that yeah. team, but give me something on these last two to just really fire us up about the national team and, and to get ready for the nation's league and European qualifying and everything that's coming starting in March. All right. So I actually remember 82, I was eight years old and I, that was privileged to, I was there in 2006. Um, and that meant a lot to me because, you know, Marco Materazzi, we're roughly the same age. I got to know him when he came to England very young. We both arrived here around the same time. Um, and obviously, you know, in that world cup, you know, he's the guy who, he gives away a penalty, which probably should not have been a penalty. Hell no. Uh, and yeah. then, uh, scores. He scores a goal, yep. gets headbutted. I mean, what more? What more do you want? Right? And he scored um, in the penalties, right? Didn't he? he and he scored in the penalties yeah. too. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he's a, he's a wonderful story. He's a wonderful guy. I think a lot of people really misunderstand. Him. Number twenty three. Um, uh, and then twenty twenty one. I was there again. Again, special for me because you're in London. At Wembley. I live in London. <laughs> also, I've. Um, you know, the footballer who there's not many footballers who I would actually call friends just because we cover them, but one of them is is Gianluca Vialli who who passed away yeah, earlier this peace. month. Rest in peace, yeah. And you know, I I had the privilege of, of writing two books with him. He lived around the corner from me here in London. Um our families are from the same part of Italy. We um, and to be able to see him, obviously, you know, since 2017, he'd been on a journey with pancreatic cancer, and and to see him out there as an assistant to his best friend Mancini um, with the national team uh, at Wembley. I mean, that was yeah, the beautiful hug they shared after they won. Yeah, yeah, but 
the Yasu specific memory of the game. I'm going to go to the semifinal. Okay. Um, 2006. Okay. In Germany. So it's the Westfalen Stadion, which for me is one of the greatest stadiums, one of the top two, three stadiums in the world. It's where Borussia Dortmund play their league football. And Germany are at home. And it's a huge deal for Germany because Germany have kind of gotten after, they've gotten beyond the legacy about like, you know, they always felt a little bit funny about cheering too loudly and waving the flags a little, you know, too fervently because for historical reasons and political reasons. So this World Cup was a World Cup where it's like, it's okay to cheer. They're all behind it. I mean, talk about being in enemy territory um, in that stadium. And the game goes to goes to extra time. and mm-hmm. Deep into extra time, too. Yeah. So, and I was in the overflow section of the press box where, you know, you don't have seats, right? You're sure. in among the... The civilians and there's a cop next to me who like who's literally was chain smoking and <laughs> and yeah, was a German cop and like he is so nervous and we kind of we, we 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 bond a little bit because I get like three bottles of water and he asked me if, if he could have steps I give him a bottle blah 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 we're exchanging glances and whatever and and then in extra time Marcello Lippi supposedly the you know very defensive coach he makes us two. There's two attacking substitutions, and then there's that moment when, you know, Germany on front foot, they're attacking, and then there's the, and, and then there's the ball, the counterattack, and, you know, obviously Pilo to, to Fabio Grosso. And, you know, at that point, it's one nail, and we're going nuts, and I'm still thinking to myself, all right, you know, this is going to penalties. They're going to, right, there's still time score. for them to score. Yep, yep. Now, for we, for me, what put it over the top was obviously the second goal. Oh, yeah. That was a counterattacking goal. That was Del Piero de Gilardino. Yeah. And Jens Lehmann, who is one of the few people in football who I absolutely hate. I hated him at Arsenal. I, I just hate him. Um, after the goal, he goes and he tries to kick Gilardino and he's running past him celebrating. And that made it all the more sweeter. And, and yeah, it was absolutely, it was absolutely nuts. And I remember thinking like, we've proven our point. Like, I don't care if we go to the final and lose to France, right? Uh, we've proven our point. We've come here. We've come to their house. Conquered it, yeah. And we have beaten them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, the thing about Germany is I like to make fun of German football as much as the next guy, but <laughs> everybody thinks of Germany's biggest rival, right? Here, I live in England. They're like, oh, yeah, England, Germany, two world wars, one world cup, ha, ha, you know, like, and they're big into that. You know, Holland and Germany, like Simon Cooper wrote a great book about the, the Holland-Germany rivalry and so on. Italy, we think we're Germany's biggest rival because, you know, we've both won four World Cups and, you know, 1970 and 1982, all these games. I The reason people want to beat Germany is because I think people have the utmost respect that they know they're so freaking good, you know, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you know, indulge in a bit of schadenfreude, which is a German word when yeah, they. I don't know. I mean, personally, I think it's more humiliating to uh, qualify for consecutive World Cups and get knocked out in the in the group stage, um, as happened to Germany. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to be able to say you beat Germany, you know, honestly, like obviously, I'm glad we beat France. Yeah. And if France yeah. keep winning World Cups, they'll be they'll become really annoying too, like the Germans. Right. But you know, for now, they're still France. Still only has you know two more World Cups than Costa Rica. They have half as many in Italy. So, you know, as I often like to tell my co-host Jules, you know. You guys, you guys got some catching up to do, you know. Yeah. So for now, the gold standard is Germany. So my quick one was uh, I told you about the flowers in 06 with my grandma. So that was big, but also yeah. like in 2021. So the last 
the 2016 Euros, my daughter was literally just born. She was born June 16th, 2020, 2016. So she was like just born. She's the littlest Italian football fan in the world, right? She was, right. you know, watching. And I love that team too because they really played hard and uh, you lost to Germany in penalties that went on forever and nobody could make one. It was horrible. But I like that team. They're a cool team. But anyway, so this time around, and plus because it was the lady year, she was older and we watched it together. But our favorite thing is the picture of the little future king, right? We have this picture. We look at it all the time where Prince William and his son, he's got his little suit on and everything and they're in their booth. Oh, George. Yeah, and they're just cheering because they scored the second minute. Like he's like the happiest little guy. And then we have the, the, it's a split picture and on the bottom is a picture of them right after they lost. And he's the saddest little guy. And uh, it's just, like we just look at that all the time to remember Italy winning, and um, like it's just such a fun thing that we beat England in England. Like you talk about beating Germany in Germany, but you know when they scored that goal at the two minute mark or whatever, they thought it's our day, it's our time, it's coming home. You know what I mean? They just knew they were winning at that point, and to think we spoiled that party. And yeah, and they acted like I mean, such idiots after too, you know the way they responded, the way they treated their own players. It's like everything yeah. about it. It's like such a satisfying victory. So I'll take that to my grave. All right, for Mac, one more time. I just want to read the plug. It's um, ESPN.com/soccer, ESPN FC show exclusively on ESPN Plus. Gab and Jules show available on YouTube, ESPN's FC channel, ESPN Pod Center, and Apple Podcasts. Listen, thank you so much. This was way too much time. I'm sorry. No, no problem. I enjoyed chatting with you. Um, don't I, don't think if my, I ask you to come on again. I'm sorry. Don't think if I ask you to come on again, I'm going to keep you this long. Uh, this, no, don't worry about uh, it. I'm don't sorry about, about that. It. Thank you it's, so much. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, my uh, Twitter handle yes, is, go ahead. Um, is at Marcotti, M-A-R-C-O-T-T-I, just my last name. Wow, how'd you get that? Um, as well. What's that? So how'd you get that? Elon Musk and I went to school together. <laughs> okay, you get, okay. We did. We were both in pen together. So, you know. Okay. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I guess there aren't that many Marcotti's out there. I guess you know, not. Like, nice job. I just know. filed you. File back. Yeah, that's sweet. So Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Um, no, I, okay. I read the Wartime uh, piece. Oh, thank you. And, I appreciate you know, I that. think it's great. Uh you know, keep on keeping on. You, you, Thank you. you obviously have a knack for talking to people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I'm very happy to come on uh, if you ever want me again. Thank you. This meant a lot to me because this is one of those things I can't just go anywhere and talk about. And best of luck to your Eagles tomorrow. This will be up before. Um, this won't be up before the game, but I hope they win for you. Now I'm rooting for the Eagles tomorrow just for you. And Jalen Hurts. Thank you. And Jalen Hurts because I'm a Sooners fan, so. Jalen Hurts, too. There you go. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. I want to thank Gabriela Marcotti and Mike Carrington for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear this episode and episodes from all 13 seasons of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us 
on Twitter at sports underscore casters or email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. The other podcast on the feed, of course, is the 24 inch podcast at 24 inch podcast on Twitter and at 24 inch podcast at gmail.com. Dave Rollins, Paula Bennett, and myself look back at the career of Hulk Hogan. New episodes every other Monday. One last thing I want to mention really quick. Adrian Dater, our friend, was at Colorado Hockey Now. He's gone from there. He's now at Substack. Follow him there. If you love the Avalanche, you'll love Dater. At a Dater on Twitter for his Substack content. All right, really quickly, one last thing will get us out of here for today. Um, and that is I wanted to tell a quick story about picking Paul up from school. So Paula takes the bus almost every day uh, to and from school. And generally speaking, it picks her up at 20 minutes to 9 to take her to school and dropped her off at 4 o'clock to return her home from school. And it worked out great because they get out at 3.50. So it's only 10 minutes on the bus. Bada bing, bada boom, she's home. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, she's got stuff after school. Tuesday and Wednesday, she has dance. Thursday, she has religion, religious studies. She's learning about Jeebus. So she's got to get home. She's got to eat. She's got to change her clothes. She's got to do whatever she's got to do before dance. And when the bus is late, it's difficult. She doesn't have a lot of time. Well, the bus has been creating a new pattern where it drops her off instead of 4 415 instead of 10 minutes on the bus after school 25 minutes on the bus and on wednesday it's just not enough time for her to turn over from school to student to dancer so i said you know what let me pick her up so tammy wrote a note to the teacher sending her home in the bag and said tammy's dad's gonna pick her up she's gonna be a walker on wednesday and you know i got there 350 they let him out i got there at like uh, three three forty maybe, and the place is just mobbed with parents everywhere already. And I get my spot, and I wait for her to come out, and she comes out, and I get her in the car, and then we get home, and we're home at five to four, and it just created a mass, a massive wave of guilt because it was just so easy to pick her up, and I felt started to feel so bad about all the times that she spent twenty five minutes on the bus. Just seemed really unfair because it was just so easy not to do that. Now, Tammy had said to me the other day, well, you were adamant about her going on the bus. And I am adamant because so much about school and extracurricular activities and things like that for Paula are about just being with other kids. She's an only child. She needs to be with other kids. So I always thought it was important uh, for her to be friends with people on the bus. Our neighbor has a son her age. They sit together on the bus. They, it's good for her, I think. Um, but it creates a balance. Is it good enough for her to have to spend 25 minutes on the bus after school and then not have enough time to get ready for her activities? And the answer is probably not. So I picked her up. It went well, and I'll probably do it more at least every Wednesday uh, for this foreseeable future, um, if not more. So it made me wonder, is there anything you guys have done that have made you feel guilty about what you had done previously as a parent. If you got something, email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. That's all. Just a quick story for today. I know the interviews are long, so I didn't want to stay long in the beginning or at the end. 
Appreciate you. New 24-inch podcast on Monday. We'll be back here next week around this time for another edition of the Sportscasters podcast. I am out. Dude.